Hello, folks. Welcome to episode number 18 of the Square Waves FM podcast. Ever so pleased to have you aboard with us on uh, this mystical journey. Uh, I am Brian, your co-host, and with me, as always, is my good buddy. Chris, and it's good to hear everybody. Why do I always say that? I'm good to hear it. I can't hear you. We can hear them it's breathing. good to hear you again, Brian. <laughs> well, thank you. And our, our audience <laughs> and are all heavy breathers. We can sort of hear them. Exactly. Yeah, we're all, we're all mouth breathers here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how you been, Chris? I've been pretty good. Um, I uh, yeah, I've been having a pretty pretty good week. I uh, I came across an, one of my little epic epic finds, uh, um, PC game finds that I'm always always very excited about. Oh yeah, you sent um, me some pictures. Why don't you tell the listeners about some of the lucky finds you got? <laughs> so I got uh, I got uh, what was it like two big boxes. Of games, and and I was worried about this. Um, the person who sold it to me sent me uh, sent me a picture, and and just it was really really poor quality. And I could court one of those pictures where it's like you know the resolution is 200 by 150. I'm sure the guy from um, uh, shoot uh, the the vintage game finds uh, uh, YouTube video. Um, oh crap! Oh, uh, lazy channel. game reviews. Yeah, lazy game reviews. I'm sure he he knows what this is like. You get a tiny, tiny little picture, and you have to squint at it and try to guess at what the game boxes are. Right. Um, and and so I got my girlfriend to blow this thing up in Photoshop, and there was like yeah, you know, like like CSI level um, hacking going on here, trying to figure out what these might be. And uh, and I squinted at them. I'm like, I'm pretty sure. And there was no labels on anything. I just you know, said to me, called me and said, I got a bunch of games here. If you want them, you can have the whole box for like 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. And he, I'm like, how many games are there? And he's like, ah, maybe 75, 80 games. I'm like, oh, okay, shit. well, that, that sounds, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> and I, he says, oh, there's too many to go through. I'll just, you just come pick it up. And, and I said, okay, fine. So we look at the picture and I squint and, and squint and squint and squint at it. And, and it's funny how, how little information your eye needs. You know, there's like 75 games piled up in these boxes. And I was like, I'm pretty, and they were just the spines. So, you know, I don't even have the front cover art to look at. Yeah. And, I, and I said, you know, I'm pretty sure I can see, uh, what was the first one I saw? Let me, let me take a look at the box here and see if I recognize some of them. I said, pretty sure, oh, I, I recognized a copy of Police Quest SWAT 2. Oh, cool. And and I'm like I don't don't think I ever played the Police Quest SWAT uh, games as far as I know, oh. but that might be interesting. I think and, number two um, might have been different from the first one if I'm getting them right. The first Police Quest SWAT was like an FMV tactical kind oh. of a game, like where you have to know what the correct police really? procedures are, or in true Jim Walls style, if you do something wrong at the wrong time, then the worst possible thing will happen. It's actually like a, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a maligned game i think oh. for being quite so rigid but it has lots oh. of like cool stuff to study it has all these interviews from real swat uh police officers and they're very admirable people who go into detail about how their primary job is to make sure that they never fire a shot and no one ever gets hurt and that they apprehend everyone safely it's really really oh. good stuff and so i think wow i think the sequel if i'm remembering the game right is actually like an, a hand-drawn, top-down strategy, kind of an XCOM-looking yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. It's an isometric X, XCOM game, oh, which yeah. I found really weird for, for Sierra. It is. <laughs> um, it is. Yeah, it, I, don't, I don't think I know very many Sierra strategy games. Um, so I was, yeah, so I, I, I squinted at the picture, and I was like, okay, that, if that's Police Quest SWAT, there's a, 
5% chance that there's other cool stuff in the box. Mm-hmm. So I dug, through, dug through, uh, I, I dug through the images in my head, and I'm like, okay, I'll go for it. So we get there. The guy just hands me this big box. I give him 80 bucks, and, um, and the box has got like two, two smaller boxes inside of it, and then it's just, it's just like literally overflowing. And I bring it to the car, and my heart just sunk. Uh-oh. And I was just like, oh, crap. I'm like, I think for the first time ever, I just got screwed um, oh. <laughs> buying computer games. You felt that I way, or it was confirmed? Well, let's see here. Um, well, you tell me. Um, at the top of the box, the first two titles I, <laughs> I see are American Chopper, um, <laughs> and there are actually two boxes of American Chopper unopened and starring the terrible. It's like that. I, I think it's like that Orange County Choppers TV show. Um, oh yeah, starring yeah. That, like, yeah, hillbilly redneck biker guy. Sure, these are like, like Walmart oh, crap, special oh. games. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, these are all Walmart stuff or crap that he pulled off of a Zeller's closing sale yeah. off the off the out of the bargain bin before they went bankrupt. I'm mm-hmm. um, like, oh crap. So I'm digging, I'm digging, and I'm and and I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna freak out. I'm like, it's just eighty bucks. You know, it's not the end of the world. I've had some great game deals over the years. And I'll check this out when I get home. And, uh, and and we got halfway home, and I'm like, okay, I'm dying. Jess, could you could you just dig into the box and just start pulling out stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and she's like, so she reaches behind her and she grabs out the first title, and it's uh, Powerpuff Girls, um, something 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 something. Uh, oh. I I had no idea. I'm like, oh crap. Oh. Next next one pulls out. Oh, this is a classic. Oh shit. Um, What's the name of the actor? Oh crap! Uh, he apparently just got uh, diagnosed with with uh, some sort of disability. Oh shit! I don't um, know. He was in Lawrence of Arabia. I can't just remember the actor's name right at, at this moment. He's like one of those old actors. It's like Lee something's uh, celebrity uh, solitaire. And I'm like, oh, oh god! You this know, is you got to try all these. Worse. You got to try these. And, and report was, back. And there was there was doubles and triples of these games, oh, like crap. unopened. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, this is terrible. And then the next one she dug out, she's like, oh, she's like, this is a bigger box. And it was Sierra's Outpost. Did you ever Ooh, hear of that game? Oh, yeah. That was kind of infamous for uh, yeah, <laughs> overhyping itself. That's quite a collector's item, actually. Yeah, I was like, I remember seeing this on the shelf of my like uh, Radio Shack when I was a kid. Yeah, what on earth is and that I remember- doing with those other ones? I don't know. So that's why I was like, okay, maybe more promising. Uh-huh. And... And so, so we dug through the outpost thing, and I'm like, it has a surprisingly thick manual, which is cool. Mm. Um, it had like a bunch of like really lame pre-rendered 3D artwork, so it looked to me like kind of a. It's like a. Oh shit! Uh, Firaxis made this game later. Uh, it does like look like face, it. Yeah. Oh, um, um, Alpha Centauri. Yes, it looks like a like like an early version of Alpha Centauri. Yeah, I think it was um, kind of. I think without the diplomacy, I think it was more just combat stuff, kind of a RTS sort of a strategy thing. Maybe it's turn-based, uh, okay. I don't know. Okay, I, I that kind of that kind of makes sense, later. yeah. But the box is cool, so I was like, okay, well, that's neat. That's I got, a lucky got the box. And Yeah, exactly. So I was like, that's a that's a neat one. Um, and I, I remember specifically seeing it as a kid, and I remember I had a toss-up. It was between Outpost and King's Quest V, and they were both like 50 or 60 bucks, and I'm like, ah, uh, I'm like, I think Outpost was 10 bucks cheaper. And mm. I made the right choice. Mm. So I got Outpost, and I'm like, okay, that's making me happier. Still feel ripped off. but And we go through the box, and the, the, there was just deplorable stuff like NRH, NHRA racing, um, like Naira racing, uh, illegal street drag, 
Um, <laughs> there was uh, a copy of, uh, oh, shit, um, some other terrible, oh, um, Redline Racer, um, which actually didn't look too bad. I think it was from Criterion Studios. That sounds familiar. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not huge on racing games. I like some of them, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. These were just like the, the really lame kind of uh, stuff that came out of the late 90s, early 2000s, and a shovelware. And then, at the bottom of the box, she finds two big, big heavy boxes. I'm like, oh, what's that? Pulls them out. Two mint, I think, unopened copies of Starship Titanic. Oh, um, cool. I By, know. Um, Douglas I, Adams, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I remember on um, Twitter a couple of years ago, um, some people were talking about how great this game was and how it was a totally overlooked uh, kind of adventure game. And <laughs> I think somebody sent Ben Chandler a copy of theirs or something like that, or okay. Francisco got a co- copy free. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like, that was one of those games where I totally overlooked it because I, I honestly just wasn't into Doug, Douglas Adams. So, mm-hmm. um, well, I, you've, I just, you played uh, his text adventure, right? The Hitchhiker's Guide text I adventure. Did. This is basically the exactly. graphical version. It is so obtuse oh. and ridiculous and insane and unpredictable. And really? Un- it's like unsolvable, but it has a lot of charm. There's no <laughs> way in hell you'll care about finishing this thing, but you've got oh, to play funny. it. It's, it's oh. like very dry British humor. It's terrific. Oh, that's bizarre. So so it's actually just like um, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with graphics? It's very similar to it, just in that the puzzles are so hard and so just, uh... you don't know what to do, but... It's a great, great setting. It has an awesome, unforgettable opening. Uh, the opening is like, you're just like some guy living in his house, and suddenly a huge starship crashes into your ceiling, <laughs> and some like robot butler welcomes you and tells you to go up I don't know, into, the, into the ship, and it's like a big doomed cruise ship with all this really insane, like all these really insane robots and stuff. It's very, very cool. I actually, uh, awesome. I don't know where I put it. I actually own the novel. Of this game, I think I pirated the game, and I thought it was only oh. so-so, but I love the setting, so I bought a novel, and I don't think I ever read the whole novel, but it was amusing. Oh, that's weird. So the so the novel came out after or before the afterwards? Game? Yeah, it's a novelization wow. of the game. Oh, that's interesting. Was it written by Douglas Adams? Yes, it was. Wow, I, that doesn't happen very often. No, so it's a, it's a terrific setting. You really, really got to try this. That's also a great find, and you have two of them. Okay. Yeah, I got two of them. I think one of them is sealed, or both of them are sealed. I'm not sure. Oh, man. Um, I bet you can make your money back on eBay just on that. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. I was just like, wow, I don't think I ever expected to find this, especially like mint. It looks Mm -hmm. like the box had never been touched. And, um, oh, I can't wait to play this now. You you just sold me on it because everyone else just made it sound like a weird, quirky kind of uh, adventure game, but I think that sounds pretty good. Um, I actually really liked the original Hitchhiker's Guide, even though the puzzles were obtuse. Um, Mm. I think it was a it was a pretty pretty neat uh, text adventure because it's just very what's the word um, unique compared to the other text adventures I've played. Oh, very much um, so. Well, let me know what you think about this one. I'm th- I kind of think like in a text adventure, you can like look at something and then in text it will sort yeah. of tell you several things, and one of the things it will tell you like literally the thing that you need to know. Whereas yeah. in a graphical adventure, it's just more graphics. Like you have to look at the screen and kind of parse it yourself you don't get text telling you kind of exactly what it is that you should be looking at so it's a little bit yeah that's more a great difficult. that's a great way of putting it yeah the, gra- the graphics really do a lot of that uh heavy lifting for you they do for better or for worse i mean sometimes the text tells you exactly what you need to do but the graphics sort of tell you what you need to do you don't necessarily know what to look at whereas the narrator yeah. might tell you out loud what you'll need to look at so yeah, i found it yeah, harder. absolutely 
Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Let me know what you think, um, though. That's a, that's a real yeah, classic. I definitely will. So I'll, I'll bring that one back to the podcast when I, when I get the chance to play it. Um, Great. Oh, and I found, I found two other things in there, which I was really excited about. Um, I found a copy of Quest for Glory 5. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and, and that was one that I was, you know, another one of those games where I was extremely uh, hesitant to ever get it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when it was in stores, I was just like, ah, you know, I, uh, I knew I made myself unpopular by saying this, but I was not a huge fan of Quest for Glory 4. I know it was just due to the bugs, but I, the, the, the setting just didn't grab me, to be honest. Oh, well, the um, bugs, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable yeah, uh, objection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I tried to finish it too many times having it crash, so I just quit on 5, and I thought it was 3D, which sounded even worse. Yeah, I never um, played it. I don't know if it's any good. I don't know. Um, I was Every time Francisco talks about it on Blue Cup Tools, I get really excited because he says, you know, for instance, the demo of Quest for Glory 5 has multiplayer, um, oh, <laughs> which, which is kind of unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um, like multiplayer adventure game demo um and he says they was they stripped that out by the time they got to retail but yeah if you download the demo apparently it has multi and i don't know how that works oh wow um i think it's basically you both can pick up or or drop objects and that's about it exciting i just uh Mm -hmm. you just uh jogged a memory for me i think i own the soundtrack on Music CD. I think that was one of my thrift store findings. I thought that I was buying the game, but in fact, it was just a soundtrack, and it's not bad. Oh, that's really interesting. It's like pre-recorded, like it's like Red Book audio mini stuff. stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of so-so. The the sound quality kind of so-so, but it was it wasn't a bad soundtrack. Oh, that's interesting. I I always I always really liked the soundtracks to the Quest for Glory series. I don't know who did this one. I've never heard it. I think I I Um, forget now too, but. the, my favorite soundtrack for that series is definitely number four. I think it has a gorgeous soundtrack. I really like that game, even though it defeated me very humblingly. I couldn't get too far in it, and the bugs also got to me. But I love the setting of that, the art, and especially the music. Well, I, I can't wait to give it another try, because uh, I, um, I, like I said, I you know played it many, many times over the years, and every time I get defeated by bugs, so this time I think... I'm ready to maybe maybe Scum VM would do a better job running it than my old DOS machines, and uh, and see if I can actually finish it because I, I everyone I talk to just agrees yep yeah, four is the best one four is the best one so I I'm obviously missing out on something huge. Oh, well, I think I think one is probably the best game in my opinion the one that I like the most but four I like the setting of. I always find myself coming back to one. I think I mentioned I, I played it again a couple of months ago and I just loved yeah. it. I every it's just like a I don't know. Just like a really tightly confined, very interesting world with lots to do, and uh, yeah, it's and not longer know, it's than it needs to be. Yeah, exactly. And I found three just unbelievably drags out for no reason whatsoever um, in yeah, Strakana. Like yeah, I, I like. I, I really like the setting. I love the African setting, but I, I just found it really weird. So, mm-hmm. oh, and and the last game I found in the box was uh, I, I found a bunch. So I ended up. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Out of. Um, 75 games or so, I kept 10 or 15. So there was literally 50 or 60 games which were absolute trash. Um, <laughs> like, and, and sealed trash. That, that was the best part. So sure. um, I'm going I'm to sell those off to somebody else and just get rid of the boxes. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the last one I found, which I was really excited about, oh, shoot, I had to go look at the, the spine again because I can't remember what it was, um, was... Um, oh yeah, um, um, Marsh, Martian Gothic Unification. I don't know if you had ever heard of that one. No, what's that? Uh, 
it it was neat. It was a, a late nineties um, adventure game, adventure horror, I would say, but more on the adventure side. Um, that came out for PS One and CD, uh, IBM PC simultaneously. And okay. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a little bit like Silent Hill in some ways, but much more dialogue driven. And um, you're, I think you're exploring uh, a space station or something like that and interviewing people and talking to people, trying to discover, I think it's some mutagenic virus or something that's been spreading. Um, and I, I heard it's a, just like a very overlooked classic. So, I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. Oh, and cool. um, Yeah, that, one, that one's kind of an – and it, it was from a developer I recognized. Let me just pull out the box here. Man, there's, there's actually a lot I found in here. There was – Starship Titanic. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Requiem Avenging Angel. Yeah, sounds familiar. It was know. weird. It's like one. It's like this bizarre um, uh, kind of like gods versus hell, uh, god versus hell kind of game. Hmm. Um, but Martian Gothic Unification came out from. Oh yeah, um, from from Talon Soft. They were the publishers. They were the guys who did. Um, oh geez, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, Talon I can't remember Soft. right now. Talon Soft. I think they were actually a Canadian publisher. Um, they did, oh, shoot. What's that? Uh, it's an amazing strategy game where you hire a bunch of mercenaries and you send them out um, to take over the South American country um, or to take back the uh, Jagged Alliance. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't play that one, actually. Yeah, it's the publisher of Jagged Alliance, but the, actually the developer is Creative Reality. Um, and the only other game I know creative reality for was this really bizarre vampire horror game called Nocturne. Do you remember Nocturne? Uh, the name is familiar. I don't think I played it. It was it's it's amazing. No one talks about that game. Someday we got to talk about Nocturne because um, it's really cool. So I think I kind of think of Martian Gothic Unification as like a pre-Nocturne kind of game. Mm-hmm. So um, it's. Yeah, that Nocturne's actually really, really, really gorgeous. I got a copy, a sealed copy of Unreal Gold. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, uh, Rails Across America, which I'd never played before. Um, looks like one. to be, yeah, it looks to be a ripoff of uh, of Sid Meier's uh, uh, um, Railroad Tycoon. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of fun stuff in there. Um, I got enough to keep me busy for a while. Oh, that's good. That's not not terrible for 80 bucks. Some cool stuff. No, no, exactly. Especially if my, my big happinesses were Quest for Glory 5 and Starship Titanic. I was like, that pretty much made the whole thing. Because, you know, honestly, if you buy three games from eBay, they're going to come out to 25 to 40 bucks each after shipping anyway. So Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that's I'm, I'm satisfied. That's cool. And you bought it so, from a local guy? Yeah, I just, just locally, some guy was getting rid of a bunch of stuff. And I just said, you know what, I'll just take the whole box. I'm not going to pick through it. So That's great. Um, yeah, so how was your week? Uh, my week was pretty good. Um, what did I do this week? Jeez. Um, it's been crazy hot here in Toronto. It's been like 30 Celsius all week long, which oh, kills me. Brutal. It's too hot for me. And the temperature... Uh, like, it gets hot and sticky at that temperature. Well, especially here, it's extremely humid, especially compared yeah. to Alberta. Very, very humid. Exactly. Which makes it all the more yeah. horrible and unbearable. So it's been a gross... Ugh kind of a week on the weather front, although today it's gone down to like 12 degrees or something all of a sudden, which I like. Oh, it's a nice wow, contrast that's nice. Anyway. It's a big contrast. It's, uh, too bad that's it actually... A, that's, such a, like a, hmm? that's such a Canadian thing. It's like have a 20 to 30 degree temperature drop overnight and everyone's exactly. just like, oh, that's, that's kind of nice. It is. It's weird. 
I figure it must be hard on like the roads and the architecture and stuff like that, but somehow oh my, yeah, my city totally. doesn't crumble too badly. Uh, so <laughs> I was hoping tonight that I could wear shorts and t-shirt, but I guess I can't because we're going to a concert downtown tonight. Oh, um, oh, we're nice. Gonna see a Swedish band called Little Dragon, which uh, <laughs> my wife put on for me. We've been we've been to a whole bunch of my concerts lately, and I told her let's go to one concert for for you for everyone that I we go to for me, and. <laughs> invariably hers get cancelled or something like one time we went all the way to the concert venue to see one of the bands that we were looking forward to seeing one of her choices and there's just a piece of paper on the door saying sorry we cancelled it so she's had some real bad luck so this is her choice and uh, I always kind of like gnash my teeth when I have to see a concert of hers just like she does when she has to see one of mine (laughs) what genre would you say this is well this one uh well, genre, this, these guys I love, actually. She put on a couple of albums for me, and I really loved what I heard. They're kind of like oh. trip-hop, down-tempo, uh, synth-pop, oh. electronic uh, guys. Oh, interesting. And, uh, okay, they have cool. A Japanese, they're a Swedish band with a Japanese female vocalist who has a gorgeous, gorgeous voice, like kind of a Billie Holiday, Estero, sort of like a jazzy, throaty oh. Soulful oh, that sounds voice. amazing. I cannot wait to see these guys. That's going to be awesome. And uh, they're playing at the Danforth Music Hall, which is in Greektown, downtown. So we're going to go to uh, one of our favorite Greek restaurants tonight, too. So that'll be a really nice little Oh, outing. that sounds like a nice night. Yeah, really can't wait. So that's that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad that I'm not going to uh, cringe too badly at her choice, but I'm glad that I get to take the missus out to, to something that she <laughs> wants to do. So that's good. Um, oh, good. I don't know. Otherwise, uh, largely uneventful week. Oh, we're going to... After all the uh, sweat and tribulations, finally getting my stupid water cooling system installed in my overheating. Oh, nice. Which has been working fine for me. But now my wife's... Now, with this 30-degree week, my wife's uh, AMD machine has been starting to uh, overheat and shut down as well. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. Yeah. it's uh, Our apartment's... The way it faces north, but it just gets really, really, really hot. It's like ho- cooler in the the hallway than it is in our apartment. Jeez. So, so, are you guys uh, are are you guys uh, like high up on the tower or something like that? Yeah, we're up on the eighth floor, and heat rises. So oh, I'm sure that geez. has something to do with it. So it does get really sweltering. Our our budgies love it because our our all of our birds are from <laughs> South America and Australia, and whenever it gets hot, they get so sing songy and happy and energetic. They fly oh, all over hilarious. the place. They're all affectionate and sweet. So they love it. But I'm sweating my guts out sitting around in my underpants. And <laughs> my wife's oh, poor machine I, hasn't been able to take it either. So, geez, I, I think it I took would us like, literally die. Oh, I think it took us like two and a half hours or something to install the water cooling in my machine. Just doing it for the first time was hard enough. But yeah, dexterity and precision and having to hold a really heavy thing in a really awkward place long enough to screw something into a tiny little oh, hole. It was yeah, really I know exactly what you mean. Ugh, so we're going to have to do that for her machine now, too. I think it was... Was that a one-person or two-person job? Um, we uh, we looked up on YouTube, and there there was, like, a one, one person doing it in, like, 15 minutes. And we're like, okay, no sweat. Wow. But uh, I kept... We don't have a proper workbench, I guess. We would do it either... We would put my computer on my chair or on the floor, and then it would be easier <laughs> if one person held something while the other person sure. had to screw something in. So it really is a two-person job unless you have a decent table or a, a workbench or something. Gotcha. Yeah, wow. So we'll have to do that one of these evenings for her because nothing sucks worse than it being summertime and not being able to stay inside playing computer games. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, I don't know. That's really been my week. Oh, and uh, happy anniversary to my parents who just had their 40th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Which is a staggeringly amazing number. That's awesome. Oh, I'm so, uh, I'm so proud of them. So humbled by that. That's so great. That's something that uh, my wife and I uh, strive for as well, of course. So... That was nice. We went over to their place for dinner yesterday. Uh, one of my grandmothers is visiting from uh, Winnipeg. Both our grandmothers are from Winnipeg, and the other one visited a couple of weeks ago. So this is my dad's mom that's in town. And I got to hang oh, out cool. with her and had a really, really nice chat and uh, hung out with my sister and her uh, husband and their two little kids. Their uh, two-year-old <laughs> son, my nephew, uh, walked up to me and said, thanks for coming, Uncle Bry. You're just so sweet. <laughs> He's such a bright kid. Aww. I love this kid like crazy. I mean, I love both my nephews. I love my whole family. But this kid is very, very bright. I think the parents made a good choice about talking to the children like adults. Like, they, they'll sometimes right. do baby talk right. or whatever, get excited and talk in a high-pitched voice. But when they want to communicate something directly, they speak in their regular voice and they speak in full sentences. And it obviously rubbed off on this little two-year-old kid because he's speaking very maturely for his age. Very advanced, oh, I think. That's so great. That's a, wow, that's, that's crazy for a two-year-old. Holy cow. A little bit. And I mean, do you still have to kind of like, I don't know, squint your ears a little bit because he doesn't enunciate <laughs> clearly, but he is very clear about like saying what he wants or what he doesn't want, and he speaks in details. No adjectives really yet, but uh, it's very sure. impressive. They're, they're raising a very smart kid. So oh, he's great. a pleasure to be around. Yeah, so it's been a good week, I suppose. And uh, yeah, life is good. I can't complain. That's great. Yeah. I um I forgot to mention uh, mm-hmm. this is like gonna gonna bug me unless you bring it up. There was one game in that box, and it justified the purchase of the entire thing. Oh, do tell. Um, yeah. Um, and and this might what might be a little obscure for for our listenership, but I'll bring it up anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Darklands. Have you ever heard of Darklands? Don't think so. Yeah, this is a really obscure game, and. Everyone should thank me for this if they've never heard <laughs> heard of it. It is unbelievably a, a hardcore microprose RPG. Um, I didn't even know that microprose made RPGs, but I had heard years and years and years ago about Darklands, which is apparently this super realistic historical um, RPG set in 15th century Germany. Hmm. Um, and you kind of create your cast of characters and you take them romping around the lands, um, having battles and praying to gods. And, and, and this was like all very accurately set within the right kind of historical time period. So the names of, you know, the names of the, um, the, the, how, what are they called? Not gods. I shouldn't say that. The, um, uh, uh, saints that you pray to, are accurately reflected in the game, and apparently, like, time passes in a realistic fashion. So, and I knew that Darklands was one of those games that comes up, it comes up once every six months or a year on eBay for, like, 50 or 100 bucks. Um, so I was just like, okay, you know what? Um, and as soon as I saw Darklands, it was buried right at the bottom of the box. The guy hadn't mentioned it. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done. This whole box was worth it. Oh, that's so, excellent. I'm looking at screenshots yeah. now. It looks great. Oh, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. I I tried playing it a few, ten years ago, and I remember finding it a little too difficult to get into. Mm. Um, it is like it makes it makes a game like Ultima Seven look like a little fun solitaire game. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, the 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 interface and stuff like that is. You know what? I think the closest comparison is um, it is like a very early version of King of Dragon Pass for anybody who's actually played that on Steam, 
or on iOS. Um, it's just you kind of just um, use a menu-based system to have encounters. So it'll kind of randomly encounter you. It's like uh, a, a band of rogues approaches you. Do you A, do this, B, do this, C, do this? And Darklands has the same sort of structure, even though it's not, it's not a procedurally generated game. Um, and it's a very similar structure to King of Dragon Pass. And I think anybody who loves KODP, and that, there's like a huge cult following behind that nowadays, um, needs to go back to Darklands and see, see where its roots are, because I think it, it shares a lot in common. Um, plus, for anybody who doesn't own the box, it has one of the most beautiful manuals I've ever seen. Um, I would say it's on par with that Space 1889 game you sent me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's got like this 30 or 40 page thing, uh, the history of, of medieval Germany, uh, complete with like hand-drawn um, pencil art. It's just unbelievable. That's amazing. So, yeah, I was just like, I was shocked when I saw that in the box. I'm like, okay. I don't care that this guy bought up games at every Zeller's bargain bin and Walmart bargain bin on Earth. He just he just made my day. Mm-hmm. So what a, yeah. what a strange combination of games that he gave you from it's like twenty five years worth of random games. Yeah, and along with um, Joe, Joe, you might dig this um, <laughs> or not. You'll might hate this. Actually, I'm going to send this to Joe and punish Joe for being such a good guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lucas, I kept this. I didn't throw it away. It's still shrink wrapped. Um, Star Wars Episode One Insider's Guide the game. An oh, exclusive beautiful. look at, <laughs> like an exclusive look at the sights, sounds, and characters from Star Wars Episode One. And this literally looks like an overblown like encyclopedia on, on C D. Oh wow. Um, this looks absolutely awful. Two thousand plus images such as concept art, making of shots, photo stills, and more. Like this is all the crap you get free on the DVD that nobody would ever watch. <laughs> oh, um, he'll totally <laughs> dig this, I'm sure. That's so yeah, great. Joe. Joe, consider this yours. Please, please send us your address so I can <laughs> so I can send this to you. And it comes with a ten dollar rebate offer, mail in coupon for purchases June twenty third through August seventh, nineteen ninety nine. I'm assuming you probably get ten dollars off from watching the movie or something like that. Wow, it's got like a terrible picture of Liam Neeson on the front. Oh, this is, <laughs> this is there's like Jar Jar's front and center. This is just awesome. So yeah, Sweet. I kept this one for you, Joe. It's shrink wrapped. Uh, you have to <laughs> you have to go to shot someday. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. So what have you been playing lately? Have you gotten to play anything lately? Uh, yeah, I played a little bit of lots of things this week. Oh, um, cool. So I. Just in time for my wife to get started playing Lord of the Rings Online, I mm-hmm. uh, I I completed the last objective that I needed to for my class. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. I don't think I talked about this last week. I think this was right after the podcast last week. Sure. Um, we had we had this really stop me if I already told this. I don't remember. We had this cool assignment where like the point of this online class is to contrast the book, movie, and online game of Lord yeah. of the Rings. So right. I read up to the point of the book that I needed to um, at like the zero hour and we watched the movies and with like barely a moment to spare my I leveled up my character enough to get to like level 22 or something which uh, enabled me to play the interactive uh, version of this scene. I think I did yes. tell this the weather top scene. Yeah, um, weather top exactly. Did I tell this already last week? Uh, you didn't really tell us what, what the outcome was. Didn't you have to write some sort of analysis paper on, based on your experience con- contrasting the three things or something? Yeah, that's exactly what I had to do. Well, I'll be brief just oh. in case I did tell it last yeah, week. Yeah, I, I want to hear what... 
Oh, well, the, the cool thing, anyway, about playing the interactive version was that, um, so it, it uh, doesn't tell you outright, but based on the things that you see in the scene, um, mm-hmm. you can tell that it's it occurs after the the series of events in the game and the movie. Um, oh, okay. Because in the game and the movie, um, they pretty much, it's uneventful. Like, they think, that, or in the book, they think they're being, they see that they're being chased by these black riders. Um, right who are going after Frodo in the ring. And so they climb up this weather weather top, which is like this big, old, decrepit, uh, ruined uh, watchtower that uh, they're, they're, they're uh, using to... That, that used to be uh, to look for the return of this elven king. But they decide to just yes. make camp there because they have a good view of what's around them. So in the book, yes. they go up there and they find a whole bunch of charred rocks as if there's recently been some kind of a firestorm or something up there. But yeah. there's one yeah. rock that doesn't fit, and it uh, is bright white, and it has two runes on it, which look like a G and the number three. So they think it's Gandalf was there on, like, the third day of the month. But they're only guessing. Um, in the movie... Yeah, they have, like, that line. It's like, it appears to be a phenoric G... <laughs> it's something like that. They actually no. They actually have um, in the book. They actually like draw out these runes. They don't describe oh. them. They they have a little oh, picto- really? pictogram of them, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's hilarious. The only <laughs> the last time I'd heard it was just the um, the audio book. So he actually says that out loud. Ah, okay. I guess that's, <laughs> that's yeah, hilarious. That's something you have to describe. Huh. That's funny. Um, that's cool. In the move, and uh, so in the book, uh, they go up there, and like the black riders kind of sneak up on them, and Frodo gets Frodo gets yes. stabbed. Um, in the movie, uh, there's no sign of a battle. There's no white rock, and there's a huge, glorious battle scene where uh, yes. Strider battles the the black riders, and they stab. Yeah, Frodo and like anyway. real, and re- really bad, like CG affected blowing, <laughs> blowing. Uh, I don't know what to call it. Blowing wind off of their bones kind of animation. Oh, I thought that was cool, actually. <laughs> I, thought it lo- I thought it looked pretty cool, but it's not, they just added a whole bunch of splash and dash that wasn't there in the book. Um, so then in the game, um, you have the option when you get to this part of the story in the game to do this instance. It's like a, an instance event okay. where it occurs outside of the timeline of the open world. And right. uh, you can either do it solo or with a group of five players on a team. Uh, so... I logged onto the server uh, a couple of days before when I finally got up to the proper level, and uh, we had all the uh, all the um, members of the course that were playing the game had mail in their mailbox that said, "If you want to do this uh, multiplayer with the guild or with the kinship of mm-hmm. the guild in this game, then we'll do it on this. We'll do it on these two time on these two days at these two times. So come and join us." So I did it right. on the Sunday morning, and lucky for me, one of the members of my group was the professor of the class. Oh, you're kidding me! Which is really nice, and um, Lord of the That's Rings Online cool. has uh, built-in voice chat, which I didn't realize until then and there, so I set it up, and the, the professor set it up, and so we went through the Weathertop instance, which obviously takes place after the movie and the book, because sure. the movie and the book, they kind of hike up, no problem, but in the game, there's all of these goblins, and they're not just any goblins, they're white hand goblins, which means that they were, they're the... Uh, Minions of uh, of Saruman, the evil wizard, the white wizard. Right, right. Um, so I didn't even think about the goblins, but then the professor every now and then would stop us and say, "Oh, take a look at this over here. What does this suggest to you? Uh, why is this white hand? Who is who has the symbol of the white hand?" So he really huh. like took us through really slowly and just allowed us to appreciate all the little details. That's that very the crazy. Of the so game you're getting like a guided used. tour of Lord of the Rings. It was like an interactive virtual reality lecture. It was just the coolest. It's one of the coolest educational experiences of my life, honestly. It was very, very cool. Wow. And I'm plus, he's a, he was a tank. 
character, so he was like, he was compensating for the less uh, experienced gamers who were uh, just shooting their arrows at everything, and he would have to do all these shouts to call the the enemies over to him so that he would absorb the damage and sure. save everybody else. It was very heroic, and the the other people who weren't very avid gamers didn't realize that they were having their lives saved over and over again by this skillful university professor. So it was especially cool. <laughs> all, all, I can, all, all I can imagine is like on speech chat he'd be like range 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 melee melee somebody helps out here he's like <laughs> he didn't range, even... range 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 well, melee melee he, he'd clearly done this so many times uh, <laughs> that he, he didn't break a sweat or anything so I was just so impressed uh, that he was funny. speaking calmly and rationally and intellectually while uh, doing all of this exciting <laughs> stuff. I'm, I'm impressed that it actually was the professor because if that happened out here like in, in Alberta I can tell you I, I worked on one of these MOOCs the first thing no offense to, to my ex-colleagues who work on these projects. The first thing they would be is, like, give some dirty graduate student my account. I don't want to play that game. Oh, no. he's He clearly designed this course because he loves the source material as well as the games. He's actually That's amazing. talented at games, and he has many, like, top-level characters, so he, he does it for love, but also because he likes the source material. Oh, uh, that top marks from me. That's that's amazing because yeah, we we certainly didn't have that level of dedication when it came to building our MOOC. Oh well, it's uh, it's a hard thing to coordinate, and I'm sure that you know the playing the online game is optional. If you want to graduate sure. with, I think they call it the distinction track or something like that, then you have to yep. do extra quizzes, and uh, you also have to uh, have screenshots of yourself participating at these milestones oh. in the game. Okay. So, you can get your credits wow. one way or another, but and you, you don't really get a special reward or anything except for some kind of recognition or like a PDF diploma or something that says that you did all this extra effort. I just sure. want to do it because I'm engaged in it and I'm enjoying it, having a, a fun time with it. So, uh, Oh, that sounds amazing. That was a very unique experience, and it just kind of opened my eyes to some new way of uh, educating a group of people. It was a lot of effort that this guy did just to be in a group of like four other people. and to. to I love that this is like... Touch. It's like the it's like the mid or early 1990s way I imagined the internet would be. Um, totally, it's like the snow <laughs> you know, crash like, school of internet. Yeah, kind of. snow crash exactly. My professor's online. I better go and log in and you know <laughs> go say hi and at least show up for class. <laughs> totally. So that was so so nice, and because oh, there was great. voice chat, we got to answer questions verbally or ask questions back. It, very very unique experience. I'm so proud to have experienced that. I'll, uh, I'll, oh, I think I have right. already, but I'm going to put another link to this course in the show notes. It's from oh, Coursera, and it's called Online Games Something Something. I don't know, but uh, it's a lot of reading and a lot of movie watching and a lot of game playing. So if you can spare a lot of time in a six-week period, it's very, very rewarding. I totally That's recommend That's great. It. I got something totally, totally in line with that. Oh, yeah? So, um, yeah, when I was digging through the Quest for Glory 5 thing, it jogged my memory back to um, a voicemail... I think, yes, it was a voicemail from Francisco like 10, 15 episodes ago mm. uh, where he talked about uh, his first experience. It actually might have been just an email. Um, his first experience going online in the realm. Right. Um, do you remember that? Oh, yeah, um, totally. Great, great email. <laughs> and, I, and I put two and two together when I got this Quest for Glory 5 box because Francisco liked, liked, to bring, liked to bring up that game often. Mm. Um, and... I was digging around in the box because I, I always go through these boxes completely because I just love the stuff you find in there. And I found this, this ad, try this multiplayer online adventure game for free, full month of adventuring in this fantasy world of quest, magic, and battle. And it is a, a card that comes with a realm for 30 days for free. Hmm. And, 
And I just put two and two together, and I was like, is it possible that you, Francisco, first played the realm because you got this free card in your copy of Quest for Glory 5? Uh-huh. Um, I'm wondering, anyway. I'm just curious. I just thought maybe it's possible. So, um, sure. probably and it came comes with, with... Probably came with a lot of games of that era. That were ex- exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, oh, this is kind of neat. Um, and it comes... So it's cool. It comes with a pre-printed card that has your login and password um, to try oh. your free trial account. Yeah. So I want to know if this is still valid. Because <laughs> I think the Realm is still online at the same address it always was. I just don't know if they like ported their databases across. I doubt it. Oh, wow. Um, you got, no, yeah. You should look into it. That's pretty sweet. I can't yeah, imagine it, comes, it works anymore. I can't imagine. No, I can't imagine either. But although, you know what's really funny? You know what does work? Um, unbelievably, is the Ultima Online... Um, um, you could... Back in like the late 90s, you could generate free accounts for people to try mm. them out, and those still actually work. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, or if you bought like a, if you bought somehow found a sealed box of Ultima Online that didn't have the game time card taken out, that still works too. Um, oh, all of the log, yeah, they, they, they can't all that database information. So this one comes with a full year's worth of unlimited adventuring in the fantasy adventure world for just $49.95. Um, that's actually a pretty good deal if you think about it. Um, that's that comes with the guess the box and the discs plus a year's worth. That makes it under four bucks a month. That's actually pretty reasonable for most online games um, mm. compared to to WoW, like fifteen bucks a month, I think. Yeah. Um, but more to, more related to the reason why I dug this out was because I I need you to tell me what this is. On the back of the Sierra catalog, it says it's from Yosemite Entertainment, so I think that might have been the company that split off Sierra after they got bought. Um, yeah, something in, like in, that, some spin-off company. Yeah, they had made Quest for Glory 5, Police Quest SWAT 2, Babylon 5, The Realm, and, this is unbelievable, Middle Earth, the online game. Have you ever heard of this? No, Middle Earth, the Mid- online game. Yeah, this is kind of unbelievable. It says, available at the turn of the century, www.tolkien-game.com. And I want to know what the hell this is. It says, um, Middle Earth is an online role-playing game based on the world envisioned in the J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, set several generations after the Third Age. Middle Earth's locations, peoples, and foes are being developed with great care to preserve the integrity of Tolkien's uh, beloved epic. Thousands of players will simultaneously inhabit this new virtual world through Yosemite Entertainment's massively multiplayer RPG technology. Um, I don't think this ever came out. I'm looking for information about it. That Middle Earth, Middle-Earth.com is something else that's copyright 2011. I think it's, it's, it's Tolkien-Game.com. Or Tolkien-Game, yeah, whatever you had said. Yeah. I, I looked it up and it... Uh, oh, that didn't come up, hey? Damn. Yeah, it was something else. I... We'll have to look into this. I, it's, yeah. I don't know if it ever happened. When I search for a Middle-Earth online game, Lord of the Rings Online is what comes up immediately. Maybe it's the same thing, but I kind of, I don't know. No, it's I, too, I would, too far in the future. Yeah, I would love it, because this, this, this ad was printed in 1998. So this is well, well in advance of Lord of the Rings Online. Yeah. Um, this huh. is really bizarre. I would love to know. If anybody, um, anybody who's a... Um, you know, good Sierra historian <coughs> trolls um, happens to know what happened with this. I'd love to. I'd love to hear the story of what happened to Middle Earth, um, Yosemite's Middle Earth. That's a really bizarre thing. Oh wow! I, I just found something. Uh, I'm not going to read it all. Oh. I'm not going to read it all on here, but I'll put it. I'll put this link in the uh, 
show notes. There's a whole article on Engadget about... Oh, really? It's titled... The Game Archaeologist and What Ifs, Middle Earth, Middle Earth Online. And it's this, like, isometric sort of uh, oh. uh, uh, Ultima Online-looking thing. You're kidding me. It's a long article. It's got to be, like, 2,000 words. I'm totally sticking this in our show notes so that we can oh, amazing. check I, it out I, at leisure. I, I can't wait to hear what the story's about, because that would that have been pretty groundbreaking if Sierra had come up with an Ultima Online, you know, uh, killer killer uh, game in the in, in 98. It would have been two yeah. years after Ultima Online, but still, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Pretty neat. Alright, we'll take a look at that. Oh, well, so, um, one thing that came to mind briefly before I get back to what I was playing this week was yeah. um, Lazy Game Reviews has a terrific video where he has a copy of, I think it's Red Baron 2 by Sierra, and he opens yes. it up, and it comes with this uh, coupon for the supermarket <laughs> to get a 50 cents off, I think, of Red uh, Baron pizza, brand pizza. Right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so it's, the date on it is like 1997 or something like that, and he goes in like 2013 or 2014, so he makes a whole video of it, he's opening the box and doing like the whole... Uh, the whole unboxing thing and then he's like video of him driving to the store and all of that and talking about how great anticipation it is and he goes to the store and buys a box of Red Baron pizza and he goes to the checkout and the checkout girl unflinchingly she just like takes it and she scans it and it works and that's it and so the, the, the cashier doesn't give two shits and Lazy Game Reviews is like beside himself like with awe that it works and the guy in li the random guy behind him is like oh my gosh was that like a 20 year old coupon that's incredible <laughs> it's a real epic that is, that is one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time no joke I, oh, yeah. I watched that like five times over especially oh, for the hilarious. big like insane build up to this moment <laughs> This yeah, this nothing moment, and in the end, he gets this really horrible looking frozen frisbee of a pizza. It looks repulsive. I, <laughs> I think so, the thing that I found so painful, and I was wondering if how he felt about this was there's this collector part of me. I'm not like okay, so I'm I'm pretty bad about collecting games. I I, uh. I can't help it, but there was this terrible part of me that's like, why did you do that? Now your copy of Red Baron Two is incomplete. What I were you know. thinking? It's like I you just you, you just ruined that box. Now you have to buy another one. <laughs> However, at least he has the video of it, so that's that's, that's true. The, the memory made it worthwhile. That's right. So I, I appreciate that he would do something like that. If he were a true collector, then he wouldn't even have opened the box. Or if he did, then he would at least keep it intact. But uh, exactly, this whole yeah. great, uh, unforgettable adventure of a pizza discount that he, we all get the benefit from. It's like spent seventy-five cents on gas to go get a fifty cents off his terrible fifteen-dollar pizza. Exactly. So more power to you, sir. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too. That was great. So I brought up anyway. I brought up Lord of the Rings Online just to say that after I you know, grinded my way up to level 22 and did this and all. I don't think I have any other milestones that I need in the game for this mm -hmm. course. It'll be over next week. Um, and I was pretty burnt out on it. So unfortunately, just in time oh. for my wife to start getting into the game, I couldn't stand looking at it anymore. Um, <laughs> I'll come back to it for sure. But it has this, um, it's a free-to-play game now, and it has this really uh, deep... Um, real money tr uh, transaction store for buying little okay. bits of content and little power-ups and stuff like that. And it's kind of overwhelming where I'm, I don't know what level I'm going to get to where I'll have to start buying content and I don't know what I should buy or if I should get a bundle or an individual thing. And it's kind of like paralyzing all the decision I have to make. So I just decided, okay, well, I'll just spend nothing and go play something else. That's a real shame because I got a lot of fun out of this game. 
And in fact, That's I pretty... bought some $20 thing for the game a couple of years ago, but I, I don't know if I did anything with it. Um, it's pretty sad when you get, like, analysis paralysis playing just, like, a, yeah, multiplayer game. I know. It really is. I want to give these guys money, but there's it, it's not clear what I need to buy and when. And I, they keep mm-hmm. giving you this little trickle of, uh, like, free uh, real money points or whatever to spend. Sure. Um, so I'm hoarding it. And, I mean, I don't <laughs> care if I have to spend some money, but the only things that i found that look like what I'm going to need to buy are two $40 packages of content. Oh, so wow. if I'm going to spend 80 bucks, then I want to make sure it's something I want to play. So oh, definitely. Anyway, I wanted to give myself a little bit of perspective, and so I picked up a game... Uh, that I'd seen many times and I didn't think would interest me, and maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. That game is Final Fantasy fourteen, which is an online oh, MMO. Right. Are you a, do you like Final Fantasy at all? Uh, I am really up and down on the series. There are certain games I just love to death, like Final Fantasy seven and parts of nine. Um, and there are many of them that I just despise, and they're very grindy. Um, I never got to play their online ones. I had the one crazy Final Fantasy game that actually came with a network dongle for your PS2 oh, um, wow. and, a, and, a, and a hard drive, if you can believe mm. that. Um, yeah, it's a huge box. I think I still have one copy of that in my collection somewhere unopened. I think it's Final Fantasy XI. Yeah, I think it was like oh, over yeah. 100 bucks. And yeah, it comes with a, this huge box that's like the size of a PC tower. Um, <laughs> and you open it up, and inside the only thing in there is a CD and I, actually, it doesn't even come with a network dongle, I lied. Um, and a uh, um, parallel, like PADA, parallel ATA um, hard drive that actually you have to open up your PS2, and there is actually an IDE controller in there that Jeez. runs this thing. Yeah, it's kind of unbelievable. You can stick an IDE controller in, or uh, an IDE drive inside of your PS2. Um, it's quite a requirement to play the game. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. And, and the funny thing is, it's like a tiny little drive. I think it's a 10-gig drive or something. Mm. Uh, or, sorry, 10, uh, no. Yeah, 10-gig. Yes, 10-gig. Sure. <laughs> and uh, it's a really, really small drive. And and then you have to get a, buy a separate network dongle, which is 20 or 30 bucks for the PS2. And then mm. once you get all this shit together, oh, you know what it is? The network dongle has the IDE controller built into it. It is a bizarre contraption. Oh, um, wow. That's a real Yeah, hack. it's really, really weird. And... This all sits inside of your PS2, and then you can play it. So I, I could honestly never break the seal on that copy because I thought it was so bizarre. So I never did, uh, I never did play it. Uh, what have you been finding with Final Fantasy XIV? Uh, ups and downs. Um, ah. As soon as I logged into the game, so I installed the game and all. Well, oh, actually, before I installed the game, my wife and I tried a free trial of this game a couple of months ago or so. Um, yeah. It took us forever to figure out how to make our accounts and stuff. We, like, made it on Steam, and if you bought it on Steam, you have to jump through, like, four other hoops, and there's all these sure. different ways that you can buy the game and all these different websites with diff- that support different types of CD keys, so it was a real nightmare just getting that crap to work. Then we finally went through all the work of doing that stuff, and it was one of those rare Steam games where usually one of us, if we both buy a game, one of us will download it and we'll copy it to the other person, and Steam right. will discover the content, but right. this is one of those rare games where we try to do that, but then it just tells you then it just starts downloading the whole game all over again anyway oh yeah it's like a i don't know it's like a 15 gigabyte game or something so it took like 30 gigabytes to to download um so 
with the trial, yeah, we finally got all that all that working, and then we found out that if you have the trial version, you're not allowed to group up with anybody. Oh, so how, how, how are we going to get a demo of a, of a multiplayer-only game if we can't play multiplayer, which is idiotic. That's ridiculous. So we gave up after like two days and let, forgot about it. Um, then I went to greenmangaming.com, which is a, a site that I love. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, they sell lots of games, and they resell st- uh, Steam keys often. So I saw that they had this game... For twenty bucks, and then they all often have like a twenty percent off sale on everything in the whole right. store. So I got the game for sixteen bucks. Okay. Jumped through even more hoops to get that to work because apparently, if you played a trial on the Steam version of the game, then you have to have a Steam key. If you purchase the game, you can't have a retail key, and if you do oh, that, then you have to God use a new sake. account. And I tried deleting my account and making a new account, but it wouldn't work, and apparently you can't make a new account with the same email address as the old account, because it retires your email address forever. So if you have is one email a, address... Out of curiosity, oh is this like a Sony online problem? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, they have like the worst, worst interface ever. Yeah, I, well, actually, I remember that kind of crap. It's Square Enix. They're even oh, worse. Oh, it's Square Enix. Oh, okay. They're I haven't tried worse. that one. This is the most idiotic, boneheaded system I've ever seen, ever. Unbelievably stupid. So it took me a good 20 minutes just to figure out how to put in my CD key. And when I did find... I had to do it by, like, making a new trial account. Right, On a new email address. And then I wanted to put in my CD key, and it said, Sorry, you can't put in a CD key on the same day that you make your trial account. Please wait 24 (laughs) hours and try again. That's outrageous. It's like, we really don't want you playing our games. Trust me, you don't want to play well, it doesn't even end there, because I finally got the thing installed, and I played the trial account at first, and I'm watching the... First, I make my character, and the graphics are just unbelievably, unbelievably beautiful. Extremely well oh, really? designed. Oh, it's magnificently beautiful. And it's like a couple wow. of years old already, I think, but Jeez. almost unmatched character design. Like, the races and the clothing, oh, huh. shit. It looks incredibly, incredibly pretty. So I spent a long time putting my guy together. It's uh, a very... I don't know if it's uh, it's it's like that line between effeminate and androgynous, as is the sure. Final Fantasy way. I'm sure. So it's a a, a very wispy looking male elf guy <laughs> with 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 anime hair. I'm sure. Did I give him anime hair? Uh, I, I'm sure I did. Um, <laughs> so I. Uh, was immediately struck first by like the really mature, excellent, like nice translation and uh, localization. They use kind of oh. like a old English sort of a style, very articulate. Oh, uh, nice! Just style of English and dialogue and stuff like that. That was kind of challenging and nice to read. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it's just a little bit poetic when it doesn't need to be, which just gives it yeah. a little bit more character and kind of sets oh, that's it apart great. from other games. So that was nice. However, during my whole intro, I kept hearing ding, 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 ding. Like, every 20 seconds or something, okay. it was very annoying, and I didn't know what it was until, like, this long intro part was finally over after, like, eight minutes of blah, blah, blah stuff. And then I saw I had all these private messages waiting for me from these gold oh. spammers. Um, and it just never... It was absolutely relentless. I was always getting all of these private messages from gold spammers and stuff, and I would block oh, one and another sucks. one would start messaging me. It was just unbearable. It was really, It was really starting to piss me off, so I ended up... Uh making a help desk ticket and just saying, right. can you please recommend to me what's the best way to make sure that I don't get contacted by gold spammers? And yeah. so the good thing was that their their uh, support contacted me in like five hours or so, which was pretty quick. Very quick, actually. Uh, they just sent me an email. The bad news was that they didn't answer my question. They sort of, <laughs> they actually put more doubts into my head than before I answered the question. They said, <laughs> they said that uh, we're sorry that your block list is full. 
<laughs> we recommend <laughs> we recommend constantly deleting items from your block list and adding new names to your block list. And this is how they manage the gold spammers that are plaguing their oh, game. Which is well, that's not so bad. I mean, that, that that's that's not a bug. That's a feature. That's a mini game you get to play. It you totally get to uh, manage your block list by by block list Tetris. <laughs> It's disgusting. It's just idiotic. So I found I found two solutions. Number one was to completely turn off all private messaging whatsoever, which okay. yet again was removing multiplayer aspects from this of multiplayer course. game. Or there's some third-party program that some people created because of the, this problem is so bad. That's always and a yeah, bad sign. Wow. I know. Well, and you actually have to – it's like an online service that you have to subscribe to or something, and so you have to make a user account and – Stuff oh, man. And keep it, it's like a memory resident thing you have to leave on your computer and it will automatically Holy filter crap. your Final Fantasy fourteen chat. What that's bullshit. always a little that's always a little worrisome. Um, Extremely having, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm having a live connection to an external server which is filtering your message uh TCP IP packets. <laughs> I know. That's wow. Ridiculous. That sounds so, awful. I, I wow. It's an epidemic. This game it's just an epidemic. So I turned off my private chat anyway, and I played for 20 minutes, and my wife's like, oh, i got to get this. This looks awesome. So she, <laughs> she bought a copy and took the 20 minutes of lots of swearing. She's a sure. little more vocal than I am when it comes to dealing with this stuff, so I got a real earful while she was trying to figure out how to put in her CD key. Because I, I was trying to help her, and I forgot what I had done. It was so convoluted to get my fucking thing to work. Oh, so uh, we both got our stuff working. We made the same same character race and they both came from the same imaginary city and made different character classes and somehow it put us in different start areas on opposite sides of the world which we didn't find out until her eight minutes intro thing was finished so she's like there's no way I'm sitting through that eight minutes again we'll just play together some other time I guess in six months to one year we'll finally meet up well, I I doubt it. <laughs> so, I played a bunch, and the first like hour and a half of the game is running back and forth around the city, like learning tutorial stuff and uh, fetch quests from one guy to another. And right, right. Finally, I go out into the field and I do some combat. And once again, like the landscape is very beautiful, incredible modeling of like windmills and trees and hills and uh, uh, far so, away. So they cut, they really stuck with the kind of um, European fantasy. A look, or or what would you say it kind of looks like? Yeah, I, I've I never seen so, it because it's in it's in like forests and all of that. It's it's its own thing. It is kind of European fantasy, I guess, in terms of the setting, but very unique in its own like establishing its own style. And I know it's making all cool. kinds of references to things that have been established in the previous games. Not that oh, I, I see. Know. The only Final Fantasy game I ever liked was the very first one for NES. Oh that yeah, that was a good game. It was a good game. I've, I've tried little bits of the future ones. I tried seven and yeah. eight and ten or ten two or something. I don't know. I I don't even know what games. I yeah, played. right. Ten dash two. Yeah. Yeah. None of them interested me whatsoever. So wow. uh, I did a bunch of fighting, and the combat's pretty good. Um, and the quests are very fancy descriptions of very mundane things, like kill five of this thing, or there there will be times where you have to click the shiny, where you have to run to somewhere and just click something, sure. and you're either like planting a seed or or catching a, a a bird and putting it into a bag or something. But it's just this one animation of you like fiddling around with your back pocket and then you reach into the sky and some sparkles come out. So no matter what action oh. you do, it's the same generic I'm using an item from my inventory oh, action, I see. Uh, animation. So that's a shame. Oh, um, that's too bad. That's like the Zelda, uh, I, I found some, you know, I found a, a gem in this treasure box kind of animation. Exactly, exactly. So that's kind of disappointing. So... I can see there's some depth to this game, but it, like you said, it's very, very grindy, and 
there's all these little uh, compromises that I have to make if I want to enjoy it. And sure. I've been playing for like three hours or something now, and I have I don't see any way that I can play with my wife, so I don't think I'm going to continue with it. It's been a very experience. So, I don't so and, but, but it's free to play online, right? No, you After have to buy you... the box, and then there's a, a subscription. Oh, there's a subscription on top of the box? Yeah, well, that's how Holy subscription cow. games almost always are. I mean, the subscription, the subscription model is kind of interesting. There's a regular subscription for fifteen dollars a month, and I got okay. the game for sixteen dollars, which comes with the first month, so that's cool. Okay. Um, optionally, you can pay just twelve dollars a month, and then you get like one character per server instead of eight or something. Oh, oh, which is I an see. Interesting I, idea. Yeah, I actually think that that's more reasonable. It is. So that's kind of a neat idea. I don't really mind paying $15 a month if it's a game that I really like. I've yeah. I've I've played countless months of World of Warcraft, but that's that remains the high water mark of online games, of massively multiplayer online games and even free-to-play ones. There's there's nothing that touches World of Warcraft. So I'm really picky about this stuff and Final Fantasy 14 clearly does not does not come anywhere near to that. So that's too bad. Oh, that that's too bad because I heard Final Fantasy 11. I don't think it's still online. I don't really know what happened with that game. I think but it I, is. It is, yeah. Um, I, that's interesting. Um, I heard it was very unique. Um, I remember people saying, you know, it's nothing like any other online game, etc., etc., and I really regret that I didn't try it. Hmm. Yeah, I saw it for sale, too, but it's still a subscription-based game, and I really can't be bothered. So, I guess Final Fantasy just isn't for me. I, I think there's probably some groove that I don't fall into that probably is better established with people that are familiar with the game. Because I know they are kind of grindy and having to get your characters up to a certain level and stuff like that, so... I don't know. It's just not my pace of game, I suppose. So I'm, I'm yeah. not going to play much more of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I mentioned before, Final Fantasy VII is the only one I really, truly love. Um, the other ones are increasingly grindy no matter how you play them. Final Fantasy VIII... They're all. I mean, the the overall theme to Final Fantasy for anybody who's never played them is almost each and every one of the games features a different world. Even though, let's say that they're still wrapped up together in the same universe, if if that makes any sense. So there are one one's kind of 14th century themed. Um, I think that's Final Fantasy IX is very medieval. I think Final Fantasy two and three are medieval too. Final Fantasy seven ultra futuristic, uh, which I, I I really like it. It's almost a cyberpunk kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And Final Fantasy eight I think is somewhat futuristic, and it, it's all about eco terrorism. Um, so they're all they're all like very different from each other. But I think Final Fantasy seven it's not the greatest game of all time. It's pretty good, um, but it did cause me to lose two or three weeks of miss two or three weeks of class in university in my first year. So I think that's a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, you're not the only one. Yeah. Well, one thing I could never, one thing I couldn't get past was like it was okay when I played the first Final Fantasy, but now right. I really don't like the idea of just walking around in an empty field and all of a sudden it stops you and you're having an encounter no, 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 with no, no, five, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, five monsters that you just didn't see sneaking up on you, and it's just exactly. all the time that pisses me off. Yeah, that's um, a hallmark of the Final Fantasy series is the random encounters. After I remember, oh, there's just one really nerdy guy in you. He was great. Um, he had he was a, a master he had a master's in mathematics or I think physics, and he said when he was in junior high he played Final Fantasy one for the NES so much that he had through trial and error generated the like on paper the exact algorithm that determines the probability of a random encounter on the next square you walk to. Okay. Um, <laughs> and he says he and he said I've I've 
confirmed it with other people online, et cetera, et cetera. This is the exact algorithm they use. Um, and that basically, it's, I think it had to, it was a combination of how many steps you take and how much time has elapsed or something like that uh, between steps. And I, I always found it just freaking annoying. Um, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII has the same issue. The further you run on the map, yeah. and, and the random encounters don't do anything. They, this is one of those, you know, um, backseat designers kind of complaints I have, uh, which is don't have a battle unless this is going to help build your character's personality in some way uh, or, or develop the character's, you know, outlook or whatever. Um, you know what game does this really brilliantly um, is I don't think you played it, but I've mentioned it before, is Betrayal at Crondor. Oh, I played um, it a little bit. Oh, did you? I didn't know that. I don't remember how they did encounters now. Did you see them in that 3D map? Yes. You saw, uh, what, what it was was it zoomed into um, a kind of um, semi-isometric uh, 3D view of your characters on a, like a chessboard kind of uh, layout. And yeah, a turn-based thing. Yeah, a turn-based thing. And you just run around bashing each other with swords and casting magic spells. Mm. Um, but the great thing about it, and, and Final Fantasy doesn't do this very well, was... There were no random encounters in Betrayal at Crondor. They, they specifically set each encounter to be at a certain place for a certain reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're with uh, your Moradell friend, uh, I can't remember his name right now, and you're with Owen the Magician, and you're playing, I think his name is Loxley or Lockley, um, mm-hmm. you, or Locky, I think, um, you run around the map and you come upon an abandoned farmhouse and you go into the farmhouse and you get accosted by 10 Nighthawks and you, you kill them in battle. The one thing I loved about it was after you kill them in battle, all of a sudden it's like, it'll be, you just found a ring on the dead body of the magician. This suggests that, you know, the Nighthawks are in league with, you know, I don't know, the saucer people. Um, so <laughs> the, the, um, uh, you know, the, so they they use it as an opportunity to build the story, and in Final Fantasy VII, it's literally just like we're trying to slow you down to stretch down, stretch out gameplay. Can't you see that? Totally, yeah, yeah, and that that drives me nuts. I, I think that's totally unnecessary. So me too. I, I, well, particularly when you know you're not high enough level to get to the next major milestone, so yes. all you can do is just walk around in circle, waiting to get enough experience points from random battles. I I really hate that. Oh, it, it's just it's so boring. That's all it comes down to. It's just absolute boredom. Yeah, um, so, oh, that's that's too bad. I'm I'm sad to hear that. Um, I I know we don't talk about online games a whole lot, but it's yeah. I've over this year, it's it's been sad watching you bounce from online game to online game, trying to find your way home. I, exactly. <laughs> well, I know where home is, and home is World of Warcraft. But I <laughs> I know it like the back of my hands, and it, every time I get a, a hankering for it, I'll resubscribe, I'll play it. I'm like, I'll have a great time for two days. But yeah, I've seen it all before, so I don't really want to do it anymore. I mean, there's other character classes that I have to try. I've tried right. a minimum. I've tried like less than a quarter of the character classes. Seriously. Oh, wow. But uh, it, I've seen the, the quests and the zones so many times. Like I, I know them all off by heart. So it's just a kind of an exercise in uh, like futility, just doing it over <laughs> and over and over again. I need more content. I really wish that they would make an expansion pack where they added more like leveling up content. That's what they need yes. more than, than just the high-level st- stuff. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, um, wow! I have three games on my list. The next one on my list, I've only just started playing for an hour or so, which mm-hmm. is Wajidai's newest release game, Techno Babylon. Oh, that came out! It did come out a, a few weeks ago. I didn't. I, sh- I felt bad for not pre-ordering it because I think that would have gotten me the uh, soundtrack. 
But I, uh, I definitely wanted to buy it for for full price just to uh, support those guys. Um, yes. Having a really good time with it. I, I, I feel terrible. I signed up to be a beta tester for the game, and I played it for like five minutes, and I didn't get back into it. Um, okay. So I, I like, uh, I, I was really committed to uh, helping them out just to make it the best game it could be, uh, and I just didn't uh, pull my weight. But huh. um, uh, it was neat to see the final game not start in exactly the same scene as uh, the beta ah, build that I had tried. Your... Okay, that's interesting. I, I was actually wondering if how it started compared to the original original game, which I did play many many years ago. Oh, this was just another kind of a remake, like uh, the Shiva. Uh, sort of. What what happened from my recollection is that um, the game came out as an AGS, like a Megs competition kind of game, or actually, uh. I think it started off as one room one week kind of game, if I remember mm. cor- correctly. You start off in an apartment, and you have to break your way out, and it's kind of this semi futuristic thing. Um, mm. And then the person started adding chapter after chapter after chapter due to popular demand, and at some point. I think Dave Gilbert of Wagedai just said, hey, you know what, I'll fund this as long as you're willing to do more and more content and we'll get you a full-time artist, uh, Mr. Chandler, on board to uh, repaint mm-hmm. everything. So um, I think what happened was, yeah, Wagedai kind of just, just took it over uh, and cool. made it into a big game. Yeah, amazing. exactly. Can you imagine the opportunity that person had? So that's, a, that's amazing. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, the opportunity they earned. So yeah. Um, yeah, so now the first scene of the game is a breakout of the room kind of a thing, so it could okay. very well be a, an Oro thing. Um, really loving it so far. Good uh, good characters and good dialogue. I expect no less from my Jedi at this point, and of course the art is phenomenal. It's definitely Ben Chandler's best stuff, uh, no oh, doubt. Oh, great. Um, wow. Terrific, uh, terrific backgrounds. With um, Now that I'm aware of this being a thing, I'm trying hard to pay attention to all the little animations and the extra flourishes and stuff like that. Things are... Uh, like uh, clear and sharp, but detailed and intricate. And uh, I think Ben is now doing the uh, character portraits as well when people talk. Both oh, the portraits really? And the character models are like extra large. It's oh, the same resolution as always, but the portraits are like three quarters of the screen in height or more. So oh, wow. Beautiful detail. Like, oh, it's, oh it's that's really, incredible. Really nice. And do, so, are their faces animated or is it uh, static? Still static, except okay. like, you know they have a few different. Um, uh, emotional states that they show oh, okay. the faces in. Okay, so kind of like the yeah, like the previous budget our games. Mm-hmm. Now that I I've like played, uh, now that I played Francisco's uh, remake of his first Ben Jordan game. Yeah, I'm going to put uh, this in the show notes before I forget. First Ben Jordan game. He used some kind of like a middleware technology or something. I forget what it's called now that allows you to do lip syncing in AGS. Oh and... yeah, I think it was a plugin for AGS, wasn't it? Yeah, so Francisco said it like almost killed him. It was just so much, so much little uh, hand holding of like individual syllables and timing them and stuff like that oh, that he geez, just I vowed never imagine. to do it again. So I can see why they would want to avoid that. I'm wondering if there's going to be a tipping point for Wajedi where they're going to feel obligated to start doing that, or if it will ever really be that big of a deal. Because I mean, a, you notice it the first question. two sentences, and then you don't really mind it anymore. But it is yeah. a nice touch, I have to admit, to be able to to see that. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Puts you on par with the bigger, uh, the bigger developers. I think I think the I think the challenge is always is once you stop noticing it, it's great and it just becomes a part of the background. But the problem is when it's done poorly, it's the only thing you do notice. And True. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's like those, those lips are constantly out of sync with the dialogue, and I can't imagine going phoneme by phoneme trying to trying to sound out each sentence. I mean, it's good practice for somebody who wants to learn how to write good dialogue, but Jesus, it's got to be tedious. 
Oh, no kidding, especially, I guess, if you have to re-record a line, and then you have all this oh. other work that you'll need to do as well. Oh, but um, in Francisco's defense, uh, the job that he did on, on uh, Ben Jordan 1, it was yeah. just flawless. It was perfect. Oh, he did wow. it as good as it could possibly be done. Oh, so that's hats fantastic. Off to him. Oh, that's great. I didn't get to play the remake of Ben Jordan, so I, I that sounds amazing. That's the only one I played. I only played the very first one and just the remake. So I, I really need to get back into the rest of that series because I enjoyed it a lot. There was some kind of <laughs> Gabriel Knight uh, overtones to it in terms of being like the paranormal investigator sort of a thing. But that's okay. Yeah. It's a different character with different settings. And it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And there were unique, uh, brand-new pu- puzzles to enjoy. Yeah, so I definitely. thought it was a, a very, very good game. I'm a fan of uh, of uh, Francisco's games. I, I owe it to us both to uh, play more of his games. Yeah, me too. Um, that's, that's awesome. I, I honestly haven't played the whole series either. So that's, that's mm. that sounds great. Yeah, so that's that's Techno Babylon anyway. I'm only about an hour in. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Um cool. and I will certainly play that to completion, hopefully by next week, but definitely in the next couple of weeks. Um, awesome. the last game I want to mention, so speaking of our friend Ben Chandler, I the second my my wife saw the uh, demo for this on uh, or a video of this on Steam and mm-hmm. it was a ten dollar game, a little indie game, and I she had to buy it right away. And as soon as I saw her playing it, I'm like, This is Ben Chandler the video game. So this <laughs> is a game this is a game called Cat Lateral Damage. <laughs> um, in this game, it's a first-person game where you are a house cat, you're in a house, and the objective oh. is to knock objects off of every ledge and every table onto the floor and make a big mess. Yeah, it's like I, I the actually opposite played of this. Katamari. Yeah, <laughs> I played this in the days when this was a Unity demo that somebody had kind of thrown together and hadn't made it into uh. any. Do you control the cat's arm? Yes, you have little yeah. paws, and you knock things over, and uh, there's a meow button. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. great. I, I didn't so realize cute. they released it as a commercial game. Yeah, I guess you worked some more on it. It's, oh, uh, that's it's definitely great. a Unity thing. Oh, it's just so super adorable, and <laughs> something you just got to see. So, cat lateral damage. Very, oh, that's great. Uh, do, do you happen to remember the developer? Um, because I, for some reason I'm thinking this is one of those games that went to a competition, and I think it was the dude who did... Oh, jeez, I can't remember his name. He does always these really goofy, artsy kind of games. Huh, and I can't remember his name right now. Oh, shoot. Um, at his website. Um, 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 dev blog. What's this guy's name? I, Chris I Chung? Oh, okay, so this is somebody different than I expected. Okay, yeah, no, I was thinking of somebody else. He does these kind of goofy art games. Um, but yeah, no, I played Cat Lateral Damage really like like a long time ago. I think it was almost two years ago. When, hmm. when it was first being developed, and just, just as I think it was just like one of those flash games, play for two minutes and have a laugh and shut it down for good. Um, it's pretty cool that they developed into a full, uh, yeah, a full commercial game. That's amazing. Oh, well, it's, yeah, super duper cute. I, I do highly recommend it. <laughs> that's adorable. The wife's having a good time. Uh, so that's really it for me. What have you been playing uh, this week? Uh, uh, I've been playing a few things. Um, one of them, my girlfriend and I, she, actually it was just based on the last um, this is actually a funny thing I think you and Joe and I had mentioned uh, Star Trek 25th anniversary uh, had come out on GOG and what a weird coincidence we went to a um, thrift store not even an hour after we recorded that podcast and what happened to be there but two fully boxed complete copies of Star Trek 25th anniversary and Judgment Rights too funny, that's great isn't that weird, so we, we bought both of those and I was like, well, now that we have them, we probably should get them off GOG. So my girlfriend 
went on to her GOG account and bought uh, 25th Anniversary, and um, we, yeah, we started playing it. I, I always do my my annoying backseat driver thing where I just kind of sit behind her and be like, no, 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 don't click there. No, no, no. Like, a, no, no, what are you doing? Hit tab, tab, not, uh-huh. not delete. And, and drives her absolutely crazy and she'll be like, fine, you play it. And I'm like, no, 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 but you're doing such a great job. Um, <laughs> so, um, we've been trying to play through 25th anniversary and it's been really fun. Have you played that one at all? I played it when it was brand new, and I loved okay. the ship combat stuff. I thought that was, like, unbelievably awesome. Yeah, um, it's held up. It's, oh, it has it. has it. That's great. The mouse controls and just being able to command your uh, different stations, your different staff, right. I thought that was incredible. The adventuring stuff, I didn't really like that much, though. I'd love to hear your uh, opinion. Um, it's funny, like, uh, it's, the, the space combat stuff, actually, my girlfriend just hates. Um, she, she finds it really annoying and counterintuitive, um, because it's basically a wing commander style, um, 3D simulation. So you're, you're flying around and up goes up, down goes down. Um, but the, the difference is it's like flying in molasses. Like your, your ship is so, like wing commander is so juddery and fast and, and, and kind of, quick moving this is like you really are feeling like you're flying a boat in space it's so slow like a ballet more yeah yeah it, it, it is totally like ballet it's not this high high paced in, uh, stuff and you know the um the enemy ai is not all that difficult they just fly away from you come back head on and then shoot a bunch of photon torpedoes at you and then fly away um mm-hmm. but for whatever reason it's just kind of relaxing i don't know how to explain it it's like the first time i've ever described combat as relaxing it um, is, isn't it? Like managing your shields and all that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, you just, just feel like interest. exactly. It's just like you know, uh, um, you just call over to what's his face, uh, Scotty. It's like, hey, Scotty, could you fix the engines, please? I'm getting kind of tired. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just you just kind of fly around. If you don't really do much, it's actually hard to die in combat. <laughs> um, if you just fly around in circles, like they don't, it's it's really hard for the enemy AI to actually kill you. Um, right. And I love that you see your little damage output on that little picture of the Enterprise on the side. Um, mm-hmm. So you can see what parts of the Enterprise you're getting. So it's got targeted damage, which is very cool. Um, again, very Wing Commander-ish. Um, I love that you you can click on um, um, Uhura and get her to send a message to the, you know, to the... Um, like, it really feels like you're commanding a starship, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're just, like, you know, leaning back in your captain's chair, just issuing commands, which is fun. Um, I, in terms of the the adventure elements, I actually, you're right, they're 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 pretty creaky at this point. Uh, back in the old days when I first got this, actually, it's a funny story. When I first played this game, it was, oh my god, it was one of those summers where I went way up north. My dad would go and work up north in the summers to go, you know, just to stay employed as a con uh, contractor. He was a carpenter, and he would drive way up north, and I'd come with him in the summer times because you know I tell him, well, I'll work for you or I'll go find a job. And I was maybe 12, 13 years old. And he went to visit a friend of his that one, this one night. And I was, I was dying because we weren't, I wasn't allowed to take the computer with me up north. And so that meant there was only one computer I had access to. It was staying with my aunt. And she had an old, um, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what it was, but it was an old uh, 286 with an Ambra monitor. So Amber, you know, Amber monochrome monitor, and the only thing it had installed was WordPerfect and Gorillas. 
So (laughs) it was like, I would literally, uh, this is like, I don't know if anybody remembers doing this. When you're so starving to do something on the computer, you would just type up documents, like just like, (laughs) just like fake documents. Like I write like, like letters or I'd like, I write like short stories that didn't make any sense. And I wouldn't even save them after I was done. I'm just so badly (laughs) wanted to be on the computer. Um, I remember being that bored. I've never oh. been that bored, but what I have done is go through the Windows and different applications help files and just read yes, those. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or dig, just dig through the DOS folder and see, oh, it's like, oh, what does pagefile.sys do? Or, yeah. you know, double space.sys, <laughs> sorry. And it's like, um, yes. or, I, I, or I would sit for hours reading the MS-DOS 6.22 user's guide, trying to find some, you know, like some really old command I had never heard of. Um mm-hmm. So my only choice was to use that thing. And I, at some point, I just ran out of stuff to do. We went over to this friend's house of his, and he went to have a beer with his buddy. And, there's, and his buddy came over, and he's a really guy, nice guy named Roy. He says, oh, Chris, I heard you're into computers. Um, here, do you want to install this for me? I, he's like, I don't know how to use my computer, and this thing's too complicated. And he handed me this copy of Star Trek 25th Anniversary. And my jaw just dropped. I was like, uh, first of all, I had no idea this guy had a computer because we visited his house all the time, and he he had it crammed away, kind of in the corner of his house under a bunch of boxes. You could tell he hadn't used it in years. Um, but it was a 386, uh, 16 megahertz AST Advantage. I don't know if you remember the AST computers. Um, yeah, yeah, it, I do. Yeah, they were like a Canadian. Uh, I think they were a Canadian company that made computers, and it was I a 16 megahertz. Sticker, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and. Uh, it had a sound blaster, like a sound blaster 8-bit inside. So I I fiddled around with this thing for an hour, and I finally installed it, and I got to play Star Trek Anniversary, and it was so much fun. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. I, and I'd been up north at this point for over three weeks without my Space Quest 3 and, you know, King's Quest 4 games. And mm. I, it was the first time I would really saw really high-quality 256-color VGA uh, um, in an adventure game. And I was just blown away. I was absolutely blown away. And this was not the talkie edition, so this is the floppy version. Um, it's the only one I've ever played. Yeah. Floppy. Oh my God. The t- the. Well, I can tell you. Now that we're playing the CD-ROM talkie, it has hands down some of the best uh, dialogue and voiceovers I've ever heard in any PC game period. Hmm. Um, the turns out those Star Trek uh, actors are very very talented voice actors. Um, they they don't phone in their lines. They really work hard to to like Bones is Bones. He's sarcastic. Um, Mr. Spock is so dry with his sense of humor, and you can never quite tell if he's actually making a joke or if he doesn't realize that he's making a joke. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's just like. And I wasn't I wasn't a huge watcher of the original series, but this made me actually fall in love with the original series. So. Oh. Yeah, it's really good. Um, the adventure portion of the game, less good. I mean, the funniest part of it is that, like, they practically encourage you to get your red shirt and in- killed on every single screen. Um, yeah. You know, like, everywhere you go, there's going to be somebody with a phaser. The first person they target is your ensign. Um, <laughs> and they're always on kill mode. So, um, yeah, my girlfriend got a record low 37% rating on her uh, last mission she did because she got the ensign killed in, like, the first screen. Uh, and I'm like, do you want to reload? She's like, no, I don't care. So, <laughs> so, um, but, but the problem with the game is the puzzles are really, really obtuse. Um, some of them are just, they don't telegraph. I, I hate that word, but they don't telegraph enough information to you to know why you're doing what you're doing. Um, 
and 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 it's really silly. Like there was this one part where you have to convert this these chemicals from one into in, into the other in this chemical transmogrification machine. And you're literally just putting in random shit into the machine until one of them clicks and says, oh, it converted your piece of plastic into a syringe. Congratulations. Yeah, um, yeah. You've now found the cure. And it's just it's just really silly stuff like that that really drives us nuts. Um, but, yeah, like, do they you need to get spacemen to, to combine those chemicals for them? Couldn't they have yeah, walked 30 feet over and tried that? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and But there's like some, some things that are like I've seen rarely done, and it's only in the Star Trek games that you see them done. Um, I love that if you use Spock, like basically, oh, it's just brilliant. The characters that are with you on your team, this is, I, I think this is leaps and bounds ahead of Maniac Mansion and ahead of Day of the Tentacle. Um, in, in Day of the Tentacle and Maniac Mansion, um, it's pretty rare all of your characters are separated and they usually do the same kind of tasks. Like, um, I don't know if, um, Bernard can pick up something. So can Hoagie, but in space, uh, space Star Trek 25th anniversary, um, because everyone has a role. Spock is only good at science stuff and bones is only good at medical stuff. So if you mm-hmm. tell bones to do something very sciencey, it will be like, I don't know how to do this. It's like, why don't you talk to Mr. Spock? It's more of his thing. Or um, if you use Spock on some medical apparatus, Spock will actually give you, he's like, Captain, this appears to be uh, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, um, and he'll give you like the scientific explanation of what the medical device is, but he has no idea how to use it. Hmm. So it's really brilliant that it teaches you, this is like character development through puzzle solving. Um, it teaches you, yep, yep, Bones is a doctor. He only knows how to use, do medical techniques. He has no idea about the science behind it. And now, remind me then, if you if you go down to the planet with your away team, can you yes. change who's with you? You can. Um, they all come with you, so your whole whole crew comes down with you. Uh. So, you so you have to always have Spock and Bones with you. I don't think you ever get Uhura um, 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 or the engineer um, Scotty or Mr. Sulu or Mr. Chekhov. Um, mm. You always have Bones and uh, and Spock, so okay. yeah. So you're always and and plus one one ensign, um, and it mm. just does a really good job of letting you role play those roles. And um, and it, you're, you always assume the role of Kirk. So Kirk will be like, Mister Spock, you know, use your tricorder and give me a readout on this. Oh, and the cool thing is, if you use your own tricorder as you know. Um, as the captain, he'll give you his description, but the, Spock, the description Spock would give you from his own tricorder would be much more technical. So, mm. yeah, they just went through a lot of effort to be like, you know, there's a good, good, good kind of world building and character development happening at the same time as well as puzzle uh, solving. Puzzle solving really does suck for the most part, but, you know, it still works. Um, and the other thing I really enjoy about this game is the missions are so short. You can finish a mission in 20 minutes. Like, um, right. as, as long as you don't get stuck, the missions don't drag on forever. They really feel like little 20 minute or half hour Star Trek episodes. And, you know, at the end, there's always some sort of character resolution and some, some sort of classic moral where like, you know, um, um, what's his name? Um, the ca- captain Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. Captain Kirk will be like, well, you know, Mr. Spock, this goes to show us that blah, 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 right. blah, 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 you know, and, and it really does just feel like Star Trek. And, and I can, it, it's hard to say that from most kind of 
um, TV series derivative kind of games. It never quite feels like the show, like the X-Files game does not feel like X-Files. So, mm. yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it for that reason. So, yeah, 25th is, is a great game. Judgment Rights is uh, even better, but we haven't started on that yet. Okay, yeah, I think that's just more of the same. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't exactly. heard anything about Judgment Rights. Was it, uh, was it a sequel or an expansion or... I, I think it's basically, yeah, it's kind of somewhere in between. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll have to refer to the uh, episode of um, of, um, of uh, Joe's show, UMB Cast. There's like a whole discussion on the user meetup over what the distinctions are between um, sequels and uh, expansions. I, mm. I see it more as a as a, a point five sequel because it just it just it's a whole new set of missions except it's standalone. So you don't actually mm. need 25th anniversary to play it, and um, I, for some reason, I remember it involves Uhura a lot more. In this game, Uhura is literally just sending messages like she does in the show, and I think in Judgment Right she has a much larger role in the game. But somebody, please correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been like 20 years since I played it. Um, mm. So yeah, um, 25th has been fantastic, and I'm again, I'm just like really blown away by the quality of each each little mission, they really do feel like those Star Trek um, VHS tapes you can find at the flea market. That's great. So well, good. Looking, looking forward to hearing more about it then as you get through. Yeah, and we've been playing that, and we've been playing, uh, um, unfortunately, Willie Beamish. Um, I don't know what got me thinking about Willie Beamish. We started playing that, too. And, um, we yeah, are you were playing, playing that a little while ago, weren't you? Or were we just it, talking about it? I, we might have just been talking about it. Um, I can't remember. And we started playing the Sega CD version of it. Um, and mm. oh man, um, I would I would love to like somebody to do a head-to-head comparison of Sega CD versus the IBM PC version. They're very different games. Oh um, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they 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 changed the Sega CD version. I think what happened was they might have been asked to port it to Sega CD for oh what company did that? Was it Atari? No, JVC. JVC was doing a bunch of Sega CD ports of games and. Mm. Um, they changed some content. They changed the intro. They changed the music. Um, it actually has like digital audio tracks on the Sega CD version instead of oh. MIDI. Yeah, uh, it's really bizarre. And then uh, what else is there? The intro is completely different, in my opinion. I mean, they've they ripped some stuff out, added some stuff in. Um, did you ever play Willie Beamish? I can't remember if we've talked about this. Yeah, I think I've gotten about halfway through it. I got stuck somewhere. Oh, okay. Do you remember the in his bedroom, in Willie's bedroom, there's like a Nintari arcade game that he can play that he yeah. wants to practice on? Well, mm-hmm. in the IBM PC version, it's just a, um, it's just like a little a prop, demo. Isn't it? It's a what, sorry? Oh. oh, is it interactive? I thought it was just like a prop or something that you don't... Yeah, exactly. It's just a, it's, it's just a it? prop. You can, watch, you, can, you can watch, if you click on it, you can watch the characters jump across the screen and that's about it. Um, mm. there's nothing, nothing happens, but in the Sega CD version, it's like a full on game. Um, oh. and, and it's completely different in the, the, the PC version. It's just like you watching the side scrolling character jump and then attack something and then jump. It looks like Battletoads to me. Um, okay. but in the, the Sega CD version, it's actually like a Tetris style, um, puzzle bobble game. And it's like incredibly fun and addictive. <laughs> I actually, I actually played it for like 25 minutes straight, and I'm like, I can't stop playing this. This is so much fun. Um, do you have an emulator, or do you actually have the, the system? I'm, I've got the emulator running on my PSP, unbelievably. Um, uh-huh. And this is, this is what killed Willie Beam's Sega CD. The load time is just painful. It's oh, a, that's right. Oh, it's a single-speed CD-ROM, so I think it's streaming data off at like 150 kilobytes a second. 
Mm-hmm. And literally, for every line of dialogue, there's a 10-second pause before Willie's oh. like, Oh, Dad, I don't want to go out there. Willie, get out there and wash my truck, kind of thing. Oh. It's just like painful. Nasty. So Nasty. It, it just kills the, kills the drama of the game. Um, but, you know, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it anyway. Oh, and the other weird funny thing is, um, here's, a, here's a nice little, uh, since I love talking about artwork so much, um, it's a, it'd make a great, great head compa- uh, head-to-head comparison if anybody wants to compare color palettes of why the IBM PC version looks so beautiful and the Sega CD version looks absolutely horrific. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's downgraded to around 64 colors, I'm guessing, or 48 colors from 256. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. the, color, the color palette looks bizarre. Some of the characters have sunburns, and, and oh, it's just really weird. I can tell they tried to squeeze every bit they could out of that color palette, but they just they had nothing to work with. So, yeah, it's a very limited platform. Oh, yeah, like totally. And it was way, you know, released way too early. They needed to let it mature a bit. So, you know, you can tell they, they did some um, some things right, some things wrong. Sega CD, Willie Beamish is probably not worth playing, though. Um, play the IBM PC version, CD version. It's way better. Oh, yeah. And I don't know whether it's on GOG or not. I, can't I don't remember. think it is, actually. Um, I, for, if I remember correctly, I, I think it's one of those games that have been floating in limbo for a long time, kind of like... Uh, all of those dynamics games, like uh, what was the Blade Runner game called? Um, shoot, um, it was another oh, Jeff um, Cannell, um, uh, game. Rise of the Dragon. Yeah, uh, ri- uh, Rise of the Dragon. Yeah, that sounds right. Rise of the Dragon. Yeah, Rise yeah. of the Dragon. Yeah, Rise of the Dragon. Um, yeah, I think that was never released on GOG either. If I'm if I'm right, um, uh, there's a bunch of those t- titles that never showed up. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I th- now I think uh, Joe did an episode on Willie Beamish. He did. I'm pretty it's sure a, he did. It's a great episode. Um, yeah, and I think he talks a little bit about the Sega, the Sega CD version. Oh, the IBM oh, cool. Too, so maybe he goes into more detail. It's been a while. Oh, I don't remember, but I'll yeah. put it in the show notes. I remember uh, he brings up the one thing that no one gives Willie Beamish credit for is it's actually a really good kind of sarcastic snarky look at suburban life in the 90s. Um, yeah, you know, like California suburban life, I think. Yeah, and it was really class. good. And it's just, it's, it's kind just, of like Home Alone in the tone. Yeah, it's like this is what a waspy family actually ask, acts, acts like when they have too much money. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was, it was, I loved it for that, and it's still good for that. It's, they still come off waspy. The mom is still a soccer mom who's trying to do her best to, you know, be the perfect housewife who has like a, you know, a nice tight ass, and the dad is trying to be the perfect husband who's employed with his massive salary all the time. And, mm. the, you know, the whiny blonde sister who's, you know, is always trying to like, you know, um, be on the phone. You know, it's just like they, they stereotype the characters so well and exaggerate their personality so well that I actually think it's, it deserves more credit for its writing than it gets. Sure. It's a good one. And even though it looks like a kid's game, it's not yeah. really a kid's game. Oh, kids no. There's, there's so many sex jokes in that game. It's unbelievable. I, <laughs> and I'm catching more and more of them all the time. It's, yeah, it's kind of unbelievable how much they got away with in it. Um, Willie well, i got to replay this thing. Yeah, Willie's, Willie actually like says something like, oh, shit. Oh, he, there's, she says, oh, and you wouldn't believe the, the blonde girl's like, my boyfriend, he... So and so, you know what he did last week? He did the nicest thing. He like put his arm around me, and then Willie's like, "What was he doing with the other hand?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
Oh my god! I'm like, that's actually pretty dirty for a Sierra game. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I approve. So, uh, I thought it was pretty great. So yeah, Willie Beamish. I actually think it's a really underrated game. Um, we talk. People talk way too much about the other Sierra and LucasArts titles. I think it's actually one of the best Sierra Dynamics games that came out. Oh sure. Well, it's really different than its presentation and its mechanics. Like it was. Yes. Was that was that a game where every action you do makes time tick forward and that's you right. can miss opportunities. Yeah. Right, there's, which is usually a thing that stresses me out, so maybe that's why I stopped. Yeah, and, and the other big stressor is, of course, their um, trouble-o-meter uh, kind of uh, right. a mechanic where you can piss off your parents, get sent to military reform school. Um, that's right. And, and it's actually just fun. I've, one thing I've been doing in the game is trying to see what I can get away with without getting sent to military camp. So, you know, right. for instance, I messed with my sister's uh, scale to add 30 pounds to her weight scale, so she flips out. <laughs> it was, you know, fun, fun stuff like that's actually pretty great. I stole her diary. Um, there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's, good at, it's good at showing what, like, 10-year-old boy mischief lo- actually looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and plus the animation I think is fantastic. It's got the Disney Disney animators I believe worked on it, or at least on oh, some yeah. of it. And it's like yeah. low frame rate animation, yes. but they get so much out of every frame. It's just yeah. like a lot of character and charm and style to it. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me that you know sometimes uh, ultra high frame rate, you know, super slick animation is not always the right answer. Sometimes maybe just comic bookish show three frames. You know, Willie, for instance, when Willie runs out of a room, he kind of does this zooming thing where you just kind of see a trail of him left behind. And yeah. uh, it's it's just fun. Yeah, I like that kind of animation. It's very cartoony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, comic booky is a good way to put it here. Yeah. Book-y. So uh, that's all I've been playing lately. Um, and the other thing, oh, I guess I'll mention the one thing I'm reading. I mentioned to you privately, I don't think I brought it up last week, was I'm reading uh, 2600 magazines. Oh, my God, we've went through half of our time already. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, I've, oh, God, this is such a catching up episode. Uh, I've been reading 2600 Magazine's Best of Articles. It's an 800 page book that has a thousand of the best articles pulled from 2600 Magazine from the 80s. Um, yeah, oh, that's great. I've seen this thing for sale. There's two of them, I think, now. Oh, really? I'm one of these out. Oh, sure yeah. That oh, that's amazing. I, this I love is this fra- magazine. Yeah, for anybody who hasn't, it's a phone freaking and hacking stuff from the 80s. And, oh, my God, the articles are so interesting. I won't go about it on this show. But anybody who's into modems and computers and everything like that, all of these articles will just be like every you know, hacker's dream lived out on paper. They're really, really good. And they're very interesting, informative, and they're actually pretty funny, some of them. Oh, and the magazine itself goes into, like, life hacky kind of stuff, too. Like, uh, oh, I don't really? remember the details now, but one of my favorite articles was about how to legitimately scam your way into not having to return your blockbuster video uh, rentals on time, or like how to avoid having to pay the late fee. <laughs> You're kidding. There's like a whole, yeah, it tells you like how to go through this whole, like, uh, like do this kind of pretzel of logic to kind of go through all of their different uh, policies to convince <laughs> the person charging you that you don't actually owe anything because of this or that policy. Oh, it's that's great. really it's funny. Very funny. It's really funny. There's a lot of cool stuff like that. It's a fun magazine to read. Yeah. I, I, I totally recommend these. They're like seven or eight bucks and you can get them at, uh, you can get them all over the world at, uh, at, uh, Bookstores. Oh, awesome! I never got the chance to read them, so uh, this is me catching up on yeah, thirty years worth of twenty six hundred. Oh, right on. Yeah, I'm sure the early ones are really good. That's been going on since the eighties. Oh, they're amazing! I think the first article is from nineteen eighty three or eighty four. So yeah, it's mm. really, really old, and and some great stuff about how to hack your fax machine, how to, uh, yeah. I, anyway, um, I yeah, anybody who's into BBSing, there's actually some BBS articles in there too, which is great. 
uh, lots of stuff on the early internet, how to hack ARPANET. Wow, it's pretty crazy stuff. Wow. That's classic stuff. Cool. Yes. So shall we get to our <laughs> listener voicemail? Oh. I should have cut myself off a voicemail, long time yes. ago. Oh, that's okay. Yes. Let's get to listener voicemail. So I have to start off uh, with an apology for one of them. This is from Avi Hayun, who actually sent this to us on uh, May the 8th, which I think was right around the time that I had gotten ah. sick. And I think he sent us another voicemail shortly thereafter. And so I oh, let gotcha. this one slide. So, Avi, I'm so sorry to have missed this. No problem. Yeah, we, we appreciate each and every one of these voicemails that we get, and we definitely want to play them uh, in their entirety. So, uh, Mr. Avi, please take it away. Hi, Squares. How are you? It's me, Avi Khayunalian. Um Want to say thank you for your reply to my question. I asked uh, last week about uh, how can you, how do you have the time to play uh, each week uh, games? And you gave me three answers. So Chris said that a job, a wife, and kids are the three demons I must slay. So... I don't really know what to do with that answer. <laughs> I, I don't mind slaying my uh, boss, but, um, you know, wife and kids are not that easy to to come by, so I don't think I'll slay them. <laughs> so the next answer was uh, Brian's, and he suggested uh, marrying a gamer, which is totally cool, but it's too late for me for that. I don't plan to remarry soon. I, you know quite like my wife so <laughs> the third answer that i think i will adopt is uh, chris again that said that he's playing you know before he go- goes to sleep each each day or so, just catches half or half an hour an hour each day steals and uh, steals them and uh, plays um, his game and each game he savors and can play for a single game for several months so you know what i like that answer and i will totally adopt it i actually did I uh, began playing a game I wanted to play since uh, 1995. I remember that I uh, I surfed the BBS and I saw that game. I played before uh, Might and Magic 3. And then I saw Might and Magic 4 and 5. Um, World of Xeen. So uh, I wanted to, to download that and I didn't get to download that game since. And you know what? I bought that uh, Humble Bundle. Uh, last week, and I began uh, began playing that game. It's a huge game. I know it will take me several months, and I just do like uh, Chris said. I'm stealing um, half an hour, an hour each day, and it goes, and it's totally cool. I love it. I love it, and it's a great idea, and I'm in. Um, another thing, we I, I talked last week about that uh, Daventry Tales thing. It had a countdown, but uh, it finished, and it, uh, I, I thought it's a game, it's a prequel to The King Quest, but it actually is uh, a book. And it's, uh, you know what, I downloaded the book, it's a, free, it's a free book, it's only about 60 pages, and it's a prequel to King Quest 1, and it's, I love it, I love that book, and I really uh, recommend it for everyone. Uh, it's, a, it's a short book, and it uh, details the, the events of King Edward, which was the king that gave uh, that gave Graham, Knight Graham the the, mission, the three missions to bring back the shield, the mirror, and the chest. And so, w- how how did he lose those uh, those treasures, King King Edward? So that's the the tale of the Daventry. I think it's called Kingdom in Distress, and it uh, details the events that led to the the, the losing 
of those uh, three treasures and it's a very nice um, story I actually read the manual um, to see in Kickwest one they also uh, sold, they sold it with a manual so I read the original manual and the, the story sticks to the manual but but really uh, fills in all the missing parts and it's so um, I recommend it again and um, thank you for your answer to my question and keep it up I love you guys keep the show going thanks well, thank you so much, oh. Avi. Always such a pleasure to hear from you. And I'm sorry again for missing out on this. I feel even worse for missing this one because it was such a such a nice voicemail. It sounds to me <laughs> like somebody who has a, a loving wife and kids doesn't really have to envy the life the, the likes of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> Definitely, I think you, I think you've made the right choice. It's a difficult sacrifice. That's right. Can't have it all. So you, you you give us advice next time about how we can do better. Yeah, and uh, and also it's amazing to hear that you're launching off the Might and Magic series. Um, uh, that that is, I I've, I've played Might and Magic six and seven and eight, I believe. Uh, missed out on the classics, Might and Magic five, but oh man, are those absolutely worth playing? And the just a little quick tip. Listen to the DOS Nostalgia podcast. There's an episode with, oh, geez, and I can't remember this guy's name. Oh, um, Richard Goodness. Richard Goodness, yes. Uh, the Richard Goodness episode of DOS Nostalgia is amazing. He goes into incredible amount of detail about the Might and Magic series. And uh, that, that guy is like a very dedicated RPGer, and I'm really impressed. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, so check out that episode sometime, Avi. Um, and, yeah, at least you don't have to slay those three demons to be happy in life. I think the half-hour... Every night thing is a perfect way to play Might and Magic because that can be a pretty frustrating game. Game series. I still haven't played any of those games, and I really ought to. I missed out on this latest Humble Bundle, which had I think Might and Magic one through seven or something. Yeah, I I kind of regret that. I hadn't played them, and I'm like, I guess I. I, It's overwhelming to have that many games in one series because you don't know whether you have to play them all in order or what. So yeah, I can I can honestly say you do not have to play any of the Might and Magic games in order. They're all little separate things, um, even though they Mm -hmm. take place in the same world. I think or same worlds. Play play six. It's just it's just a damn good game. Might and Magic six is just so much fun. Um, it's it's just like very easy to get into, very addictive. It has that just one more dungeon, just one more quest kind of feeling to it. Um, oh, but there's one more thing. It's Might Magic Seven or Eight has this amazing card game called Oh shit! Um, it has this amazing card game where you try to knock down each other's castles. It's kind of a mixture of um, Magic the Gathering meets um, I don't know some sort of not tower defense, but some sort of thing where you're just trying to bust down each other's castles. It is such a like a fun mini game that I ended up playing the mini game more than the main game. Um, cool. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's called Archomage. And you at some point, uh, 3DO even released Archomage as a separate game that you could buy online because it was so, so addictive. Um, huh. Archomage, I wish that came up on GOG. I think it's like hands down the best mini game I've ever played in any PC game period. Uh, <laughs> just awesome. So yeah, thank you, Avi, for that. Um, I'm I'm really excited to hear how that uh, series goes. Please keep us updated. Yeah, thanks a lot, Avi. Oh, by the way, since you mentioned it, I don't know whether you know. I I just learned this a little while ago. Yep. Where the name of the company 3DO comes from? Oh, do you know this? No, I don't know this. Oh, so I thought it was just like some cool-sounding name or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's actually a little bit of thought behind it, and like in retrospect, I think it's actually pretty clever and optimistic. So the 
the uh, early motto for this game. It was Trip Hop- Hawkins, I think, who yeah, uh, put right. this company together. And uh, yeah, he split he off from the, EA at some point. Yeah, that's right. He used to be the CEO, I think, of mm-hmm. EA. He split off to go do his own thing, and he uh, established this company where he wanted to make the technology behind a game console, yeah. but have third-party companies manufacture them. So exactly. there are a few different like versions, like of this of this one. Yeah, console, there was like a gold way... star version of it. There was like the uh, Panasonic version of it. Yeah, which is weird. I think they had similar but not identical specs. I think I think the, not. the hardware was identical, but the actual box and layout and controllers were completely different, which is really interesting. Oh, okay, it is interesting. So the way that Trip Hawkins pitched this idea to these companies was by trying to put into context the new thing that he was trying to do with this idea. And so he summarized this as audio, video, 3DO. So he considers. Oh, you're th- kidding me! And that's how you're supposed to pronounce it is 3DO. So the 3DO. idea is that it's like this. It's like this. This new plane of of perception for games. It's this like new multimedia <laughs> thing that kind of transcends the previous senses. Oh, which is such a clever funny. idea. I love that. I, I didn't I, know that until 20 years later. That always expects that all, that to totally explain something really funny because when you launch Might Magic Seven or Six, mm. um, they play the 3DO intro and it goes. It goes, don't, 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 3DO. And I always thought it was the weirdest way of pronouncing 3DO. And I was like, I didn't realize it's supposed to be 3DO. That's hilarious. Sounds like some kind of a George Lucas thing, the way that it's pronounced. So yeah. It's, it was, I felt like I got some closure. Oh, that's great. That. That's funny. I actually, did you ever play a 3DO console? Only, like, posthumously. I tried it oh, a couple okay. of times, and in stores a few times. I loved it when it was brand new, and it's a little painful now that it's old. It yeah, me too. Old. When I when I played it in stores, I think Future Shop had, like, a uh, a kiosk kind of thing that you could play it at. And I remember I was really blown away. It had full screen, full screen 30 frame per second video. Um, the, mm-hmm. the resolution was quite good, and the games were just a, just a lot better than I was had expected after being uh, subjected to Sega CD games for years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, yeah, that's funny. Drooled over the screenshots of the magazines, and when I saw it in person, just like the just the streaming full motion video off of a disc was something that was like just not done on consoles at all. So yeah, they, they did it better, better than before everybody else. Exactly, and I think they were they were not so nasty about porting like Sega CD was. I think they a lot of the games that came out like Psychic Detective or there was a lot of really good adventure games, full motion video adventure games that came out for it um, mm. that were ported simultaneously to many other systems. So I think 3DO was an attempt at having a little bit more of an open architecture. Um, you think so? I think yeah, so. I can't remember. I think. So, yeah. Um, oh, that's, that, that's, that's really crazy. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I, now I want to get on to our other voicemail, which is uh, which is from uh, our wonderfully good buddy Trolls. He Yay. has a bit of a follow up to uh, his Commodore sixty four story. <laughs> so let's do that. Oh, and uh, nine and a half minutes. Oh, so, beautiful. Uh, get comfy. Here we go. Hey, Squares. It's uh, me. It's a uh, Mario. No, it's uh, the Space Quest historian. Um, you guys were uh, asking about in the late uh, the last episode about uh, uh, fast loader cartridges for uh, the Commodore 64, uh, and I thought I was pretty much done with it, you know rambling on about my uh, my youth as a Commodore 64 owner or child really, um, but uh, yeah you had to bring up the fast loading cartridges so um, so I actually had to go and uh, Google. Um, 
because we did have a fast loader cartridge and we had one of those really freaky ones uh, at least in my mind it was uh, you know first things first I have no idea how this thing worked uh, all I know was that it plugged into the game port of the Commodore 64 and then it had um, it had two buttons on the top it had a button called freeze which did nothing as far as I know and it had a button called reset which was uh, kind of the same as you know powering your C64 off and on um, which was, uh, you know, great fun. Uh, or it was the same as that uh, very complex uh, sys command that I can never remember. Sys 6435434. Something that makes the Commodore 64 reset. Uh, anyway, that was very handy because instead of having to, you know, power off and power on the C64, you could just reach on the back of it and just hit the reset button and boom, it would go right back to the, uh, to the prompt. Anyway, um... What the, the the cartridge that we had, and I had to Google this because I couldn't remember, uh, was called Final Cartridge Three, which is, you know, there's so much wrong with that uh, with that name. I can't, I don't even know where to start. First of all, Final Cartridge sounds like a like a fucking beat 'em up game from the SNES area uh, area uh, era. I mean, uh, second of all, if it's the Final Cartridge, how can it be the third one? I mean, come on. English is not my first language, even I know that. Um, anyway, um, this thing was, uh, was, was interesting because not only was it a fast loader cartridge, it also had a, uh, a rudimentary OS, like a graphic user interface, built into it. Uh, I'm going to get back to that in just a bit. Um, first of all, uh, the fast loading cartridge worked in this way. Um, you would use the F keys on the um, on the uh, Commodore 64 to uh, uh, quickly show the uh, uh, directory on a, on a disk and uh, to quickly load programs and such. Um, if you remember the F keys on the 664, uh, instead of what we're used to on the you know PC keyboards, where they're, they're in this nice uh, you know alphanumerical line on, on the top of the uh, of the keyboard, you have F1, F2, F3, etc. Um, on the C64, they were way off to uh, the right side of the keyboard and. Um, F1, F3, F5, and F7 were sort of the uh, main keys, and then you had to hold down another key to execute F2, F4, F6, and F8, uh, which was weird. Uh, but the final cartridge thing uh, worked by, if you hit F7, it would show you the uh, uh, you know, the list, uh, the directory of the um, of the disk that you had in the drive, and uh, once once it had shown you that list, you would navigate with uh, you know the little prompt, the little blinky cursor. You would uh, navigate that with the arrow keys up to the program that you wanted to load, and then you would hit F5, and uh, that would deload. I'm not sure what deload means, but it would load the game that you had selected, and it would uh, very quickly uh, do that because this was after all a fast loader cartridge. And then once it was done, you would hit F3, and that would make the game run. So that's pretty much how the uh, final cartridge thing worked. I have no idea what else it could do uh, in the uh, you know standard Commodore 64 basic thing because I never really messed around with it that much. Looking on the uh, C64 wiki, I can see that you can uh, execute a list command by pressing F1. That means if you had a batch, no, no, sorry, I keep calling them batch files, a basic file uh, loaded into memory, and like you were writing a program or something, you could hit F1 and that would just list what you had. Um, F4, restore a basic program after a new or software reset. 
I have no idea what that means. I'm just going to skip ahead to what I know um, everyone is dying to hear about, which is the graphic user interface that it came with. What the fuck's a graphic user interface doing on a Commodore 64 anyway? It, but still, this thing had it. Um, one thing you would notice when booting up the final cartridge 3 was that it would uh, display the standard uh, hello welcome Commodore 64 basic v2 64k ram system 38911 basic bytes free yes i am reading that off a screenshot um ready and then the prompt blinks on the ready this this is the uh, you know the standard uh, everyone knows this screen this is what uh, every commodore 64 user uh, would see when they powered up the the c64 and they would see it on a dark blue background with a bright blue border around it now if you booted it up with the fast loader cartridge with the final cartridge 3 uh, the entire screen would be this deep deep blue and the text on it would be white so already it looked kind of freaky. Uh, the next thing you would uh, you would realize was that suddenly there was a mouse cursor. Uh, of course, it wasn't actually a mouse because uh, you know, well maybe maybe there were mice peripherals for the C64. I don't know. I didn't have one, uh, so we had the joystick. But you could you can sort of uh, move this cursor around with the joystick, um, and it had um, it had like a, like a little uh, a bar at the top, like a file edit. Uh, you know, the standard sort of windowsy kind of actually kind of early mac os type um uh, bar at the top with the system basic one basic two disk and function keys and uh i don't remember what all of these did and i'm not gonna even if i just you know you, you can just go to c64wiki.com and uh, read about it yourself i'm not gonna sit here and just read the entire wiki page uh but one thing that struck me about this was that um you know you wouldn't use the graphical user interface to load games uh there really wasn't any point to that because you had the function keys like i just mentioned before uh you would uh, you know jump into the c64 prompt and you can just hit the function keys and that would load games fine and that's pretty much what I use this thing for. But if you were apparently kind of a sicko or something, uh, you you had all these little applications on the cartridge, uh, like a calculator, and um, I'm struggling to think of what else. But you had you had a rudimentary word processor. This is the one I really wanted to go back to because um, you had a rudimentary word processor built into this thing, and it really really looks uh, a lot like uh, what's that what's that application called on the Mac OS? Uh, I think it's called uh, Type Pad or something. I'm not. Jesus, I'm sitting on a Mac. Why don't I just look? Text edit. That's the one. There you go. Text edit. Um, and it, it really, really looked like that without all the fancy formatting and stuff. Uh, you could just basically type whatever you wanted. And uh, I would sit there and you know, type merrily away on my C64, not knowing what the fuck I was doing and why I was doing it. Uh, and you could, you know, save these uh, documents onto a floppy disk, which would take forever, as you all know. Uh, everything in the Commodore 64 world, even with a fast loader cartridge, kind of takes forever. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was, you know, I, we didn't have a printer. We didn't have any way of sharing this document, uh, except with other people who had a fast uh, final cartridge three uh, thing. So uh, uh, there was there was no point in sitting around writing shit into this. But the, just the fact that it had one that was that was cool as shit. Um, so what else to cover? Well, that's pretty much it. Uh, this is the only fast loader cartridge I have any experience with, and uh, it really is. Um, 
fantastically weird. I did say that everything on the C64 takes forever, but with this thing, the forever was really compressed into a very, very short forever. It would load games like, uh, let's say, let's say a normal game of a of a cassette deck would take maybe a couple of hours. Uh, a normal game uh, off a disc, if you just left it, left the C64 to do its own business, uh, would take maybe I don't know what what Chris said about you know 20 or 30 minutes. That's not that's not unrealistic. Some games would actually take that long to load. Um, and then um, with the final cartridge here, they would load in two or three minutes. Which is quite the reduction of time, I'd say. I mean, of, of course, there are differences. Some games would load uh, in the standard C64. They would load in, let's say, five to ten minutes. Um, but uh, the final cartridge, it would just beep, and it would be there. And you could just hit F3 and run it, and it was the best thing ever. Now, some games did not appreciate the final cartridge 3, um, so they wouldn't actually run with it. So, of course, you had the option of just yanking the fucker out and just going back to straight up uh, C64 uh, loading things. But anyway, I'm, uh, I can tell I'm rambling now, so I'm just going to let you guys get on with the show. Uh, of course, love you, love everyone who's listening, want to give you all a big bear hug. I'm going to go put on some pants. See you guys. <laughs> Thank you very much, Troll. I w- Trolls, I wonder whether he has a fast loader device of some sort for uh, putting on pants as well. That would be very efficient. That's a, a two-hour two project, yeah. I might yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so um, before we get too into this, uh, Trolls actually included a short a couple of paragraphs uh, elaborating on something that uh, he missed. Oh. So I'll read these quickly. Sure. Uh, Trolls says, um, I may have been a bit flippant saying that games loading off a tape deck would take hours, probably more like 30 minutes, which is still a long okay. time. Likewise, big disc games would probably take 5 or 10 minutes to load, not 10 to 15, which is still a long time, but yeah. Uh, the final cartridge could load small games in under a minute and slightly larger games in just a minute or two. Most games that didn't work with the final cartridge were the types that used multiple files on the disk instead of being a single executable file. That's interesting. Uh, um, huh. Also, the final cartridge had an alarm clock. Never used it, but hey, who hasn't dreamed of being woken up to the sounds of a screeching SID chip flagellating itself? I know <laughs> I do now. <laughs> um, the final cartridge also had a bunch more... A bunch more very advanced options for disabling sprite collision detection, switching joystick ports, and much more, all of which I never bothered to mess with. It had a freezer mode, which which always terrified me as a kid because it turned the UI a sickly green, and all the options made no sense to me at the time. Freezer mode, maybe that's a memory uh, thing, I don't know. Um, finally, it also had a pretty sweet disk operating system that meant you could copy disks if you had two drives. Yeah. We didn't, but I imagine it was very useful for piracy. All the best, Trolls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Trolls. So, first of all, I have to give you and Abby and all of our listeners a huge big bear hug back. I forgot to mention that uh, <laughs> earlier yeah. in response. We love you all. Um, I can actually answer a couple of things about the fast loader cartridges, or sorry, I should say the final cartridge version 3. Um <laughs> The um, B-load or blowed, um, I found out as an adult, is binary load. So that just means um, load, load this up as a binary file as opposed to a basic text file. Um, oh, that's for like a compiled executable? Exa- exactly, yeah, exactly. And that's that, I, because it, that was common to many operating systems. The Commodore 64 had that. Um, I think that might have even been up to the Amiga at that point, uh, could, could support B-loads. Uh, my Tandy Trash 80 had a B-load function. 
Um, and, and it also had a C load, Claude, which was cassette load. Um, um, the other thing was the freeze reset buttons. Ah, so you, you're all probably wondering what these were used for. Um, if I re- recall correctly, freeze um, and reset were specifically used. Um, this is what made the final cartridge so awesome and, and all of these other fast loaders. They were called fast loader cartridges, but more specifically, they should have been called piracy enablement cartridges. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they, the, their secondary function was to load your game a lot faster. Their primary function was to make it a lot easier for crackers to get into the game to disable copy protection. So the freeze command, as you correctly guessed, Brian, was to freeze the contents of memory so you can peek at it and start to look, dig around in the RAM, trying to find out exactly what functions are being called. You basically are using a hex editor at that point to dig around and see, oh, well, what happens if I put in these numbers for the manual copy protection or what data is being streamed off the disk, uh, the, the disk at this point uh, for the disk copy protection. So, uh, that's really neat. That reminds me a little bit of some of the cheat engines I used that would freeze memory values that right. would make it so that you get hit and you wouldn't lose any damage or you would buy something and not lose any money. Exactly. And you could probably even, you know, modify I think with the game genie or something, you could modify um you could modify hex values on the fly. So you could uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was what it was used to gen- generate cheats and disk copy protection cracks. Um and the as you can guess trolls, the calculator and word processor were critical for doing that because you probably need to do a lot of hex and uh, decimal value calculation when you're um, uh-huh. <laughs> cracking that. And the word processor, I suspect, I never had a final cartridge myself, I suspect was probably for writing, uh, you know, writing programs or writing down notes so you can uh, crack this populator. So yeah, that was, that was the first thing that came to mind as soon as you mentioned all of that stuff because um, I remember uh, there was a whole episode, uh, I don't mention this podcast Enough, and I, did, I, I thought of it the other day. It was the Retro Bits podcast by Earl Evans. Did you ever listen to that? Mm. No, I ha- oh, I think I listened to one about BBSing that yeah, you recommended a, to me. A was long, that? long time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. And Retro Bits covered uh, some of these fast loader cartridges in one episode, and Earl Evans went into unbelievable amounts of detail about it. So, um, if you're a fan of Commodores, yeah, check out check out his like his like five or ten episodes in the C64, and they're really, really good and detailed. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so uh, th- thanks for that. Cool. I uh, really brought me Thank back. You, we had a, I had a friend with a, a fast loader, and I was always blown away how it shortened. I in my you're right in my memory it was like half an hour to an hour, but yeah, ten to fifteen minutes is probably more likely for a uh, <laughs> for a cassette load. That's crazy. So yeah, it's pr- still pretty out- outrageous. Oh yikes! By the way, before we get to our final topic, I ha- I'm happy to announce that uh, after quite some time, we have a technological correction oh. that has been offered by one of our listeners. Woo-hoo. This one comes from uh, Joe Mastrioni. Hi, Joe. Hey, Joe. Who, um, he uh, corrected something that I had said. I, uh, he, he clarifies that assembler language is still a, an abstracted programming language yeah. that is, in fact, a compiler, and it's not machine language. That's even more... Yeah, uh, that's even more uh, basic than assembler. So that was a mistake that I had made. Wow, what, what episode was that from? I don't even remember talking about machine language. I don't remember what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, man. Ah, uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I remember that specifically because I remember, cheese um, in some some. I think it was actually an Atari documentary. Um, they mentioned the Atari documentary how the Atari actually didn't have an assembler, um, so you were actually machine coding. Um, 
Atari 2600 games when you're first building them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just inputting... That's why they needed, like, real engineers to... to yeah, exactly. Stuff. You're inputting hex values instead of actual, like, you know, um, uh, assembly language has words like um, LD, load, or uh, I don't think there's a copy. I think it has another B, like BC bit copy or something. Um, you can actually send, you know, tell it to copy from one memory location to another. I love how real hardcore programmers see that as abstraction. <laughs> it's like, wow, technically you're you're not really down to the bare metal yet. So yeah, thank you, Joe, for that because uh, that's definitely mm-hmm. important thing to remember. Thank you, Joe, and thank you, Avi and Trolls, for your for your voicemail. We always love to hear from our listeners, and we really, really love to hear about the technology and the experiences that you've all had when you were younger using these uh, using these uh, different computing platforms. So, uh, totally. uh, by all means, keep on sharing your your good stuff. Yay! Whew. All right. <laughs> At long last, why don't we <laughs> let's, close, let's we close the our... show with our main topic? <laughs> exactly. Jeez, for a change. All right. Well, this week, uh, this is uh, this is a topic that perhaps we can come back to again uh, with other details. We but, have uh, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This this week we have compiled our personal top ten lists of coin-operated arcade games. If we if we lived on a, an electric electricity-enabled desert island of some wonderful sort, what were the ten arcade games that we would bring with us? So uh, I can't wait to hear this, uh, Chris. Way. I know. Why don't should uh, you and I uh, ping pong back and forth? Uh, let's do it. The, yeah, we'll only games. get through a few, but I, I love it. Okay, sure. So, uh, what have you got first? Okay, I'm going to start off with the first thing I ever played in memory. I believe I was six to seven years old, so maybe grade one or grade two. Uh, grade two, actually. Um, this is a little story. My I, I I went to school way way up north, so kind of close to the Arctic Circle, as I mentioned before. And at our little elementary school, there was maybe, I don't know, a 10-minute walk to the local bakery, which was downtown. And every few weeks or months, my, my, every few weeks, my mom would give me a couple of bucks and say, oh, you're allowed to go to the bakery today. Here's a note. Um, give it to your principal and say you're allowed to walk to the bakery and you're going to go get yourself a bunwich. I remember this very specifically, a turkey bunwich. I don't think anybody even uses that word anymore, bunwich, um, <laughs> <laughs> and a donut. And I'd walk downtown to this little tiny bakery. It was locally run uh, by this friend of my mom's. And this blonde lady, I can't remember what her name is now, she would greet me. She'd be so excited to see me. She'd say, hi, Chris, do you want your, your Bunwich and your donut? I'd say, yes, please. And then she'd, um, this is the advent of microwaves. So microwaves are just coming out. This is around 1985. Um, she'd stick this turkey bunwich into the microwave, heat it up for about 30 seconds, just enough for the cheese to melt inside of it. And I get a donut, I believe was, oh, I know exactly what it was. It was called a chocolate long john. Um, for, mm-hmm. for anybody, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's almost like a chocolate eclair, um, just, just with no cream, I believe, on the inside. And mm. I'd walk over to this cocktail sit-down glass top game called Dig Dug. And, oh, I love this game. <laughs> yeah, and I would, I would always have fifty cents left over from buying this. So this is like, you know, I had two or three bucks, and I'd have fifty cents left over from getting that. I could, that would give me, you know, two, two games of Dig Dug, and I absolutely adored Dig Dug, which is this game where you play this little guy in an astronaut suit for some reason. Uh, I think it's an astronaut suit, and looks like yeah, and he has like a little bike pump that he carries around, and you mm-hmm. kind of dig into the ground 
So it's kind of like if if anybody who's played um, Super Mario Three remembers these. Oh wait, Super Mario Two remembers these moments where you get into a sand level and you have to dig downwards and then find the enemies and kill them. Um, the only difference is with this that your little guy can shoot a little. Um, I don't know what you call it, like bike bicycle tube pump thing totally. at an enemy and inject it with air and then start pumping the pump button as fast as you can to blow the enemy up so he literally pops. And Dig Dug was like really addictive and actually a surprisingly difficult game. And I remember the music really, really well. Um, I don't know. I just was, I was just, I, I adored this because this came at a time where I didn't really, the only thing we had was a computer that played like text adventures that Trash 80. Um, so we didn't really have anything in the realm of arcade games for the Trash 80, and I just just loved it. So that was my mm-hmm. first first memory. Uh, what about you? All right, well, I'll start off talking about the three arcades that are prominent in my mind. Oh, um, wow. So the, the first one, and the most important one, of course, is an arcade that my grandfather, R.I.P., uh, used to operate in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, so uh, every every uh, few months, a couple of times a year, we would fly to Winnipeg to visit our grandparents, and uh, invariably I would go to my grandfather's arcade. He had two different arcades. Wow. Both, I believe, with the same name. Like two, uh, first he had one in a shopping mall, and then he moved to a different location that was a standalone little uh, property downtown. Cool. And it was called the Pirate's Den Arcade. Oh my god, that's like... A great name. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a perfect name for an arcade. So... He, I would, I would go, you know, he's my grandfather. I'd go there. He would give me like thirty dollars worth of tokens uh, out of his machine. It didn't cost him anything, and I, it would last me hours. And I was in just absolute nerdy boy heaven, <laughs> playing whatever I wanted as much as I wanted to. Those games that are like real quarter munchers that uh, you play and then you you die and you have to continue from where you left off. There was like nothing for me because I would just stick in another coin. It was just like playing it on an emulator <laughs> and play and play. So that was just fantastic and. Wow. Uh, a, a great point in my grandfather's favor was, especially when he moved to the second location, which was in an impoverished neighborhood, he would sometimes get uh, kids who would skip school to come to his arcade, which is something that he discouraged. And so he created a policy where if you bring your report card uh, at the end of a semester to his arcade, he would give you a free token for every D, two for every C, wow. three for every B, and four for every A. That's and he would amazing. encourage the kids to... Yeah, and so you know you would have like five or six or seven classes on your report card every uh, every semester. So he would be giving like five dollars worth of free quarters Holy to every cow. kid or something. And he said that he actually did see a marked difference in people's grades for this very superficial reason, which is such a nice so kind of service that he did to the community. So uh, gotta respect him for being such a positive guy. That was a, that oh, was a terrific. Thing. I would have never thought of something like that. Can you imagine how many kids went to school like just like trying to game the shit out of their grades so they could get ten bucks I free know. at the end of the semester? That's amazing. That is amazing. So very proud of him for that. Uh, so that was definitely my favorite. Uh, those were my favorite arcades. I also, a lot of times as a kid growing up in Calgary, we had this restaurant called Bullwinkles. Oh my god! Like, yes. Do they? Do, oh, are you familiar with this? Uh, oh, absolutely. This yes. I don't know if it was a chain. Really? Yeah, yeah. Bullwinkles was a chain. It was actually all over the states too. Um, and, I didn't even realize. Oh my god, it's that Simpsons episode where they're like, it's your birthday, it's your birthday, happy birthday, boy or girl. Exactly. <laughs> Look, I knew that there were Chuck E. Cheese all over the place, which for those who don't know, it's like a pizza restaurant with a video arcade, and they have these like spooky animatronic puppet yeah, on exactly. a stage that like entertain you while you eat. It's yeah, we had, one, we had one Bullwinkles here until I think it closed in the late 80s, early 90s. 
Okay, that's about when we moved away from Calgary, so it may not have lasted much longer than that. So we used to go there all the time as a family because they had this awesome like dinner deal for twenty dollars, which was like a pitcher of a bottomless pitcher of uh, pop and a pizza and twenty dollars worth of tokens for like twenty five dollars. Oh my god, that. that sounds awesome! Um, and Every single time we went there, I think, almost every single time, they would screw something up on the pizza. They would put a topping on that wasn't supposed to be there or something. And we said, oh, you actually got this wrong. Right. So they said, I would always say, oh, keep the pizza. We'll bring you another one. <laughs> so we would always go home, stuffed to the gills with this fried cheese delight. Oh, my but, God. But uh, the parents could also uh, get their kids, their noisy kids to frig off for an hour or two because we also had all these video arcade tokens. So I played lots and lots of great arcade games at these places as well. Oh, man, um, that sounds great. I never got to go to Bullwinkles as a kid. Uh, I really, really it regret excellent. it. I, I, I had all my had friends the... talking about it when I was in grade five and grade six, and I never got to go. Oh, I always liked it better than Chuck E. Cheese. Just, it was the exact same kind of place, but they, I don't know. It was a great... The geography of this of this arcade, which is an important thing. Like, when yeah. you're walking through the arcade, it can't just be a big room with a bunch of uh, right. games on the floor, like a warehouse, a big square warehouse. There's, like, you know, little parts where you climb the stairs and you play another kind of games. That You know, you, cl- you climb, like, four stairs, and right. it's just on this slightly elevated platform, and there will be a, ki- a few kinds of games of the same type or, or on that side, and then maybe there's, like, a curved wall in the corner, and there's uh, pinball machines or skee-ball machines or something on the curved wall. It's important that you had a little bit of, like, geographical variety. You know what's funny? Now that you mentioned it, so that always had that. I think I might be able to blow your mind here. You know who created oh, goody. Bullwinkles? No. It was Nolan Bushnell of Artari. I'm, oh, I'm 90, I might have known that. So it doesn't surprise me. I'm 90% sure that he had specifically said, I want this to be a place where we focus on the human geography of the layout so people feel like they're kind of at home somewhere else. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Nolan Bushnell. And I think Chuck E. Cheese was like a bad ripoff of it or something like that. Um, I can't remember. How I always th- assumed it was the other way around, but they could, I could, sure you're, you're I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe Nolan Bushnell created Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> I think he might've done Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, okay. That's too bad. Cause I, I, don't know if- cause I, I have been to a Chuck E. Cheese and it kind of sucked. Yeah. Bullwinkles was always better. That was always my favorite. Oh, that's funny. So, Love that place to pieces. And the last arcade that I'll mention was one that was at the Southland Mall in Calgary called Laser Illusions, which is another oh. just awesome arcade that would have really terrific uh, games. They had lots of like laser disc games and really fancy yes. um, sit-down games. Some of them would be motorized and all. It was just an amazing arcade, and that was the uh, I stole their name as my uh, alias for uh, pirate BBSs. That was Laser <laughs> Illusions. <laughs> oh. Nobody seemed to know the reference. So oh, that that's great. Me. We actually had yeah. a we actually had a laser illusions here. Um, the, oh, yeah, yeah they, they, so they must have made it into like a little mini mini Alberta wide chain. Um, well, maybe it was laser with a Z. Yeah, exactly. And we we had ours at uh, West Edmonton Mall actually, and uh, it didn't okay. it didn't last long. But we always saw it as like the the expensive arcade. It's the like arcade you go go to when you want to play the premium games. Um, they they never mm-hmm. had any classics there anymore. They ripped out the Donkey Kong and stuff like that, and they would put in like Mad Dog McCree and uh, I, I don't right. want to be ruining your list because I guarantee that's on it. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, all of the American Laser games would show up there, and I'd always always go play them, even though I knew I'd you know regret it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So with that out of the way, I'm probably gonna I'm gonna just glance over. I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna glance over my first one and yeah. go to my second sure, one. My sure. first one for my for my dream arcade is the Star Wars arcade game, which we oh, wow. talked yeah. about in some detail last week. Yes, I love that game. 
Um, so the next one is around the same uh, the same era is Dig Dug. It's one called Moon Patrol. Oh yeah, Moon Patrol. This one? Oh, totally. I love this one. So in this game, you're like a little moon buggy. It's like a side scrolling. <laughs> Uh, like always, it's kind of like a, the the very first endless runner game. You might yeah, say, yeah, exactly. Now that I think of it, so um, you're in this moon buggy, and you have different obstacles that you have to circumvent in order to get to the next checkpoint. Uh, there are holes in the ground. There are boulders which you can either jump over or shoot, and there are uh, UFOs you shoot, and aliens. You couldn't you shoot upwards too? Yeah, that's right. You're, yeah, but you had you had a joystick and one. A jump button and a fire button. Oh, that's right. And so that's... the fire button would make you shoot forwards and up yes, at the same time. That's what but it I think was. your forward cannon shot more slowly than your top cannon. Right. So your top cannon could be used to shoot aircraft that were flying on top of you. And like I said, it's just an endless runner game where you have to find the right rhythm to jump over different things. Um, although you can move forward and backward, which would slow you down or speed you up, you could never stop. That's so right. The best you could do would be like just to. Uh, prepare yourself for a jump by slowing down and then go faster <laughs> to make sure that you clear the obstacle. And of course, sometimes there'd be two obstacles in a row, so you had to make sure you're going just the right speed to land between them and then make another jump. Really simple game in practice, but I loved it like crazy. And uh, another version that I loved, I wish I could remember in my elementary school, my very first computer class, we had a computer lab at the elementary school. I don't remember what kind of computers they were. They might have been Apple IIe's or something, but there was an excellent port of the Moon Patrol game. I seem to remember. Remember playing Moon Patrol on a computer too, and I want to say it was like on an old CGA monitor. Um, oh, I don't remember now, but I'm pretty I, sure there's a DOS port as well. Yeah, okay, okay. I was trying to remember because I know I played this on on a CGA monitor because it was the first time I ever saw the horrid, you know, CGA pinks and yellows and or magenta <laughs> CMYK. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I, I'm, I I played the DOS one later on, and I think okay. you're right that it was a four-color CGA uh, secondary color one. But uh, uh, this Apple version that I played was also excellent. And because we were playing it on our computers in our computer class, our teacher even uh, uh, encouraged us to play it just because we had to know <laughs> how to load it and how to use it and how to use the keyboard and oh, stuff cool. like that. So those were the days. That must have been around 1985, 1986 or so wow. when I was uh, a kid in elementary school. All right, that's Moon Patrol. What do you got next? Uh, I, I, it's funny, yeah. The way I organized my list was I, I, I kind of just took the, for instance, I have one for most involving, most impressive, most fun, uh, the funniest, the coolest, the most gorgeous, the best music, best port, the most addictive, mm. and the best multiplayer. So I kind of just thought, if I'm going to get stuck on a desert island, I want to like fulfill every one of my... Uh, every one of my gamer needs. So the most... Let's, oh, that's smart. Yeah, let's skip around a little bit. Um, I'm going to go to most fun. Sure. Um, the most fun I ever had playing an arcade game without you know wanting to like bash the screen in was Burger Time. Um, did you ever oh, yeah. play Burger Time? I played Burger Time like crazy in <laughs> DOS. I don't know oh, if I've ever played it in the arcade. Oh, wow. Okay, I remember we... Yeah, I played it on my 8086. Oh, crazy. In the arcade, I don't think. Wow. Yeah, it is crazy. I um, I I got to finally play it again. I think I mentioned maybe even in one of our first episodes that I'd been playing Burger Time at an arcade in Calgary. And uh, mm. and it's, it's this great place called Tubby Dog, and... It's a hot dog place. It's just crappy hot dogs and fries, but they have a huge collection of classic games inside of their uh, little restaurant. And I sat for like half an hour playing Burger Time. And for anybody who hasn't played it, you're this chef, and you run around. I think your name is Peter Pepper. And and you run around with this uh, salt shaker in your hand, 
and you have uh, imagine it's something like Donkey Kong. You have a bunch of uh, like rows and levels to a single screen, so the screen doesn't move and it doesn't wrap. Um, you just can run left or right, up and down, and you go up these ladders. And your goal is to make a hamburger out of uh, by walking over the tops of each um, piece of the hamburger. And once you completed by walking across the entire piece, let's say it's the bun, it separates from the surface that it is attached to and drops down one level, um, and it drops down onto the next part of your hamburger, which would be like I don't know the lettuce. Um, and then if you run down to that level and you walk over those two together, it drops down to the third level, which would be the meat. And then you keep dropping these burger things down, and your goal is to make a complete burger at the bottom of the screen, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. ba- very basic gravity. And uh, and then meanwhile, you have like these evil – like there's like an evil uh, egg chasing you around, uh, an evil sausage, I think. Um, yeah. And the only thing you can do – you can't kill them – is you can stun them by putting salt on them. Um, <laughs> well, you can kill them by squishing them. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, you, you could kill them by squishing them. That's right. So your goal is to drop the hamburger on top of them or drop the piece of the hamburger on top of them, and that's really tricky to get going because they're chasing you throughout the whole level, kind of load runner style. Um, mm-hmm. I was hopelessly addicted to it. I never got very far in it because it's a very, very difficult game past the second screen. And, uh, oh, yeah, so that was that was some of the most fun I ever had playing an arcade game. Mm-hmm. That is a really, really good one. I love that one. Yeah. So what do you got next? All right. I don't have these in any particular order or for any reason. I sure. put this whole list together in like 15 minutes, <laughs> and some of I kind of surprised myself by some of them, but I figured these are games that I would want to be able to play um, for extended periods yeah. without getting too tired of them or if I switch between them. Yep. So I'll skip ahead in time for this one. This is one that I tried the very first time at my grandfather's arcade, and when I saw this, I just could not believe how unbelievably gorgeous and immersive it was. Ooh. This one is Virtua Racer by Sega. Oh, that's a neat uh, pick. Oh, I, I love this thing. So my grandfather, he had the, the sit-down cabinet version Amazing. of this game. And so what was unique about this was that it was a very early 3D game. This was the... I don't know, remember what they called it, but this was the, ga- the first game that they built with a technology that would later uh, be used for Virtua Fighter. That's right, yeah. Um, it, it basically meant that it was just 3D polygons, uh, untextured. That's right. And that was it, really. So uh, Virtua Racer, you're in like a Formula One race car. And um, it's a really intricate, uh, elaborate uh, cabinet. You have your steering wheel, of course, and you have your gear shifter, and you could choose between automatic or manual transmission. It had the gas and the brake pedals at your feet. It also had four separate buttons for whichever perspective you wanted to view in. Oh, Um, that's right. I forgot you could switch between them on the fly. You could, and it's odd that you have a, a button dedicated to each of the four views. So that's a lot of buttons. <laughs> that's right, and I remember. Um, and they also didn't they flash mm-hmm. when you were on your current view? Yes. Oh my god, I totally They're remember all, that. Yeah, that's right. In the attract mode, they kind of blink one after the other, and I think before <laughs> you press the button for the first time, they like blink in a succession. That's right. So you press the one you want, and then the one that's selected has this light bulb behind it that stays lit. Yeah. So you can view it inside your car. I think, you know, there's, like, on the nose of your car and then behind the wheel of your car, and you can see these, like, polygonal hands on a steering right. wheel turning as you did, which was amazing. And then there were two behind-the-car views, a near and a far. Yeah. Um, really, really beautiful game. There were only three different tracks, which are, like, easy, medium, and hard. Yeah. I think the easy one was a... You know, it wasn't just a boring oval. It might have been an oval. I don't know. And the hardest one, I think, was the Suzuka uh, track. I think it was a Suzuka track, which is the same one that you can do in pole position. It's a Japanese 
uh, Formula One right. racetrack, and there was a middle one too. And the scenery was it was just colorful and pretty and uh, just really cool early polygonal graphics. I have such a soft spot for untextured polygons. It's something <laughs> that you didn't see too much because it wasn't long before they had the horsepower to put textures on them. Yeah, but between the cabinets and the game itself, and it had this beautiful music and voiceovers and stuff. Uh, Sega, this was kind of Sega at its peak as a phenomenally good uh, creator of arcade experiences. Oh, definitely. So and that definitely makes it on my Yeah, list. I remember there, I was really blown away because they were way ahead of the curve when it came to 3D in the arcade. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they were. That's Virtual Racer. What have you got next? Um, I've, next one I wanted to cover was uh, around the same time or maybe just a little bit early. Actually, no, never mind. It's like 10 years before Virtual Racer. Jeez. Um, is the classic Dragon's Lair. Um, the, oh, yes, The yes. laser disc game. I know that this would be like living hell to have this on, on, the, uh, on a uh, you know, desert island for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's not on my island. <laughs> it's like, but at the same time, I couldn't, I couldn't be without Dragon's Lair. Actually, trying to finish the game. It's for anybody who's never played it. It's a laser disc game, um, meaning that you actually have a physical Pioneer laser disc machine sitting inside, humming away. The, I owned one of these. I think I mentioned on one of the episodes. I owned the actual Dragon's Lair uh, laser disc arcade game for a, for a little while. And the, the laser disc in there weighs about 50, 75 pounds. It's just unbelievable. Wow. Oh, yeah. And the disc is the size of a, like a, I don't know, like a 45 RPM record. Just huge. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have to admit, like, even though the game itself is not very good and the gameplay is frustrating as hell and it's quarter-sucking, um, you know, behemoth, the, the animation, the music, and the sound effects are so incredibly good. And oh, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a work of art for an arcade game. And I remember the first time I ever saw it was at a local festival called Klondike Days. Um, it's kind of like this one of those oh, yeah. campy, you know, local local exhibitions to you know themed around for us the Gold Rush. And um, I remember a friend of mine and I. It was the first year. Uh, we, I hadn't seen one of these in the original arcades. The King came out in like 1985, if you can believe that. Uh, like a fully full motion video, 30 frames per second interactive arcade game came out in 85. I didn't see it till like 1991. Um, mm. It came out much, much later for me here. And um, yeah, so um, this game, I saw it at this, this Klondike Days exhibition, and I remember it was unbelievably expensive. It was a dollar. It was one loony to play this game. And wow! Yeah, most I've ever seen it for. Yeah, it was just outrageously overpriced. But the thing is, by this time, um, what would you call them? Rear? Do you remember rear projection TVs? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. With the red, bl- green, and blue like projectors on them. Exactly, they had the projectors inside mm-hmm. of the t- TV cabinet. Those had come out. And what had happened... They looked pretty crappy, I thought. They, they did, <laughs> but it was like a 50-inch screen you were playing Dragon's Lair yeah, on. Yeah, huge. Yeah, That's so great. it was a $1 to play Dragon's Lair on this 50-inch screen, which just blew my mind mm. at the time. So I remember I had 5 bucks on me, and I blew all $5 of, of you know my, my playing with money at this uh, exhibition within like two minutes. Like, <laughs> mm. It was an absolutely unfair... By the way, if you guys can hear some noise, I'm just... Uh, I'm, Locking up the apartment here because I am going to be late for a signature play um, that we're going to go see. So ignore any oh, okay. ignore any sound. 
Um, so yeah, Dragon Slayer was was huge for me, and I I just love the animation. Don Bluth Studios. I know I've mentioned this on a previous episode. Um, the Don Bluth stuff's always really really good, and anybody who's familiar with you know the the Don Bluth films that came out much later, Dragon Slayer's like really amazing uh, animation to see in any any arcade game and any adventure game today was like really. I've never seen that kind of animation in the game since then, basically. I know, which is amazing to me. I thought full motion video would kind of make a comeback since we have the bandwidth and the storage and the technology yeah. to do it so easily now. Exactly. The, and the production values and all that. Yeah, so and never, really it never really happened. So, yeah, that's kind of sad to see that that never became a thing. Okay, so yeah. what's next on your list? Next on my list. Oh, I will say, by the way, that I did play... Uh, I did play um, Dragon's Lair when it was brand new, around oh, 85 or 86, really? when I was a little kid, and it totally rocked my world. I didn't think such a thing was possible. I couldn't, before I played it, I just didn't, even when I played it, I just didn't understand the correlation between, like, these actual hand-drawn cartoons and whatever I was doing with my joystick. It was just so unbelievable. It was, like, dreamlike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it was, the, the one thing I do remember when it came out was, if you played it on, like, a regular stand-up arcade thing, so it wasn't like the massive uh, rear projection TV, sometimes the arcade owners would actually, oh, one sec, my door is open, there we go, um, the arcade owners would actually, um, uh, they would put an external, like the, the arcade board, the PCB, has support for an external monitor too, so you could actually have, I don't know how to explain it, you could have a monitor like a Sony CRT that you'd stuck up on top of the arcade cabinet so everyone in the arcade could ah. see you playing your playthrough. Um, kind of oh, like, that's right. I've played on these. It's very humbling. Yeah, it was like a very early Twitch TV version of, uh, or sorry, ver- version of <laughs> Twitch. Yeah, I really like that. Totally, it was. Totally. All right, you're not you're not uh, on the phone and driving at the same time. I hope. Ah, uh, don't worry. I've got uh, I've got a good uh, headset here. Oh, okay, good. All right. So next on my list, then, um, we can get through our whole list in, like, another 15 minutes, I think. Yep. Um, next on my list is one that I never played in the arcade at all. Oh. But I played it on an emulator, and I absolutely love it. I don't think I've ever seen it in an arcade. Oh, cool. This game is G.I. Joe. What? I've never um, heard... Only G.I. Joe, the... Was it, like, a top-down shoot shoot up kind of game? It was, like, a behind... Behind the back. Oh my god, you're right. And it actually, the original game, I believe, even had like an Uzi gun attached to the arcade monitor, didn't it? Oh, that was a different one. Oh, that was a different one? Okay, I'm confusing it now. So this one reminded me of, oh, another, a game that I owned on Nintendo, and I like the Nintendo game better than the arcade game, which is called Cabal. Oh, Cabal, yes. Um, Right, 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 right. Yeah, I love that one. It's like behind, yeah, it's like behind you, and you can run left and right, but it's sort of either you running forward or you kind of like uh, taking cover behind different objects, and you just aim in different directions. It's like a (laughs) a rail shooter, but you have a little bit of control over your character that can jump around and stuff. Yes, that's the one. So G.I. Joe was like Cabal on steroids. G.I. <laughs> Joe is like Cabal on steroids. It, um, oh. Sorry about that. One second. No problem. <laughs> Here. Uh, that was actually pretty funny. How do I. There we go. I gotta put you. I hate to do this to you folks, but I gotta put you on speakerphone. Go for it. That's okay. We're almost done. Yeah. All right, so sorry about the speakerphone, but it's going to have to do for now. Okay, sounds a little lousy, so we'll see what we can do here. All right, Uh, 
Yeah, so G.I. Joe, um, you, uh, you are just a guy with a machine gun. You're shooting a whole bunch of Cobra soldiers. The graphics are kind of cartoony looking. It looks a lot like the show. You just shoot, like, yeah. swarths of, of soldiers. You must kill, like, 1,500 people by the time the game is done. <laughs> um, you're constantly running forward and just aiming on a two-dimensional plane around you at uh, the soldiers that are running up towards you. So there's foot soldiers of various types, and there's... Uh, vehicles like trucks and planes and stuff that you can either shoot with your machine gun or your secondary weapon is like a missile launcher. And there's different power-ups that you can collect as well by either running over them or by shooting them. Um, The technology of this game is really cool because it's able to render a whole bunch of sprites on the screen at the same time, so you get zillions of guys and lots of explosion and particle effects and like uh, debris from the buildings that you blow up and stuff. A lot of the environments are really destructible. It's just a really, really fun game, and I think from beginning to end, it must be like half an hour long or less, which I guess is a good length for a, a coin-op game. Uh-huh. But uh, it's also a really good one to play on an emulator with infinite lives. Um, that's really all I got to say about it, I guess. Really, really good game. Totally recommend this one. Um, I've never seen it in the arcades. I would love to. I don't even know what the cabinet looks like. But yeah, uh, I, I don't remember seeing it either. I immediately confused it with Cabal, so... It may be. I think the Cabal, Cabal used a... Uh, it used a trackball, like the hand pincher special. Oh. So uh, that and one and two buttons, I think, oh, one for jump and one for shoot. I was confusing it with actually. It was hmm. called Narc. Oh, did that one have a machine gun that you pulled? I remember Narc. That was like a side-scrolling. Uh, yeah, it was one. Side-scroller that was confusing it with exactly. Hmm. All right. So that's all I'll say about that. Uh, what have you got on your neck uh, next on your list? Oh man, I hope you played this. Is Marble Madness? Did you ever play that? I, I'm, yeah, I played that in the arcade. I I mostly played that for DOS. I love that game like crazy. That's a really good one. Uh, I I never got to play the arcade version. I always played um, Marble Madness. No, that's not true. I never did. I didn't get to play Marble Madness until I was an adult. Um, I played the Sega Genesis version of it, which was an unbelievably great port. Hmm. Um, but of course. The DOS version and the Sega, C- or Sega Genesis version are missing the one most amazing thing about Marvel Madness period, which is the trackball. Right, of course. And that made a big difference. But it was still playable yeah. with a directional pad or keyboard. Exactly. And the one thing I loved about it was the, the trackball. Gamers actually like wear special gloves to play with the trackball because <laughs> after a while, it would get so worn out that there would be a gap between the trackball and, like, the, the playing surface. Mm-hmm. And if you spun it hard enough, you would pinch your hand inside of it. Uh, like, leaving bruises all over your hand when you played uh, Marble Madness too long. So, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome game. And, I don't know, it had some of the best music. The Genesis version had a really good, even though I know the Sega Genesis has this terrible, like, Yamaha synth that's really tinny-sounding, mm-hmm. um, the it was actually a surprisingly good rendition of the arcade music, which is really, really fantastic music. Mm. Um, seem to remember that there is actually a um, um, a really good article on Marble Madness in um, Retro Gamer magazine, and it's really worth reading if anybody has the time to check it out. Mm. So yeah, that's that great. Was- I finished that game for the Genesis, but I suspect the Genesis version is actually much smaller than the arcade version, which has more levels, I believe. Do you think the arcade version had like five or six levels, and that was it? It was the kind of game where if you could do it on one life, it's like four minutes long. 
Yeah, okay, so then, then it is the exact same length as the Genesis version. It was literally like a four-minute-long game, but it's so hard to master it. Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, there's enemies that try to push you around or that gobble you up, and there's, like, oh environmental hazards and stuff. Do you remember the black ball enemy? Like, he's like a little black steel ball, and he tries to knock you off the map? Yeah, son of a bitch. I hate that guy. Oh, he was just, like, such a jerk, and it was, like, so surprising to see a game that had, I don't know, like, very, I don't know, very psychological AI. Like, it felt like you're really fighting against this black ball who's a complete asshole. Mm, you hate him. <laughs> yeah, that's a great game with a very striking visual uh, style as well. Very beautiful kind of, uh, I don't know what... It's kind of like Checkerboardian Cubist. It's a little bit similar to uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, I would say, in its art style in that way. That's a great comparison, except, yeah, kind of turned on into an isometric mode, which, yeah, yeah, like, the visually, it's just really stunning, and it's unbelievable that they pulled that off, and, like, you know, I think the game came out in, like, 85, 86, 87, it's pretty old. I think even older than that. Wow. Yeah, I'm absolutely in love with it, and I wish... You know, I, I've passed around local arcade people here uh, since part of my job involves fixing arcade machines mm-hmm. uh, where I can find one, and everyone's like, that's one of the hardest games to find. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess with that. That's a good one. All right. All right. So on yours? Next on my list is the world-famous Street Fighter II. Oh, yeah. beautiful. So I, I I guess my pick would be the original one. This is one that I played mostly... I played a heck of a lot in the arcade, but I think I played it mostly on my Super Nintendo at home. And I'm sure that I've said in the past that I paid like the equivalent of $100 Canadian or something buying this for uh, however much it cost then uh, in stores. I went to Buffalo because it was actually cheaper in New York and the States to, to uh, buy the game than it was to buy it locally in Canada. Um so I I read a lots of strategies on this game in magazines and I I gobbled up every bit of information I could. I practiced this a lot. I played it competitively, not competitively, but I just played it for fun against other players or against the AI. I love this game like crazy. I'm familiar with all 8 of the uh original characters and at least on Super Nintendo I finished it on every one of them and saw all of their end stories. So I don't know. For those that aren't familiar with Street Fighter 2, it's just like uh, one person fighting another person. There's eight different characters that you can choose. And they have punches and kicks, as well as a bunch of special moves that you do by manipulating the joystick and the buttons into various patterns and uh, uh, directions and stuff like that. So it's a really, really well-balanced game. It was kind of the, it was the most popular arcade game for a really long time. There's a lot of uh, debate over whether this or Mortal Kombat is the better game, but I think Street Fighter 2 wins out on that front. It wasn't as gory or anything, but... Uh, Without a doubt in my mind, did you have a favorite character you played with more often? Yeah, I liked Ryu the best. He was my guy. I was the, be- I was the best with him. How about you? I, uh, I played Dolph Sim, um, mm-hmm. or Dolph. I'm never sure how it's pronounced. Me neither. He was like... The best part, I think in the MOOC I'd written about this, like, the insanely racist stereotypes of each character. Like, <laughs> Dalton is, like, this, like, yogi from, you know, India mm-hmm. with, like, these long arms that stretch out and kick people in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember Blanca? Yeah, of course. Blanca's, like, this Brazilian beast from the jungle uh, <laughs> who, who happens to do Muay Thai boxing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> It was like a pretty, pretty unbelievably racist, awesome, awesome game. Mm-hmm. I, my, my story with Street Fighter was I also played the Super Nintendo version a lot, and it was because my friend Fraser, um, his parents had bought him a Super Nintendo, and we'd have this thing where me and a couple of me and another friend would show up at his place every day after school, and then go straight to his hockey rink and play 
play hockey for half an hour, one hour on his ring, and then we'd run inside. The first thing we'd do is like load up Street Fighter and wait for our to- toes to warm up. And we basically would play long enough so our toes were warm. We'd run back outside to play hockey again. <laughs> and uh, I, I was just like in love with it. I played. I think I mentioned that guy's house once before. That was the guy. I got his pair. I, I secretly started playing Dark Castle on his Macintosh. Oh, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, locking up his computer on him because of me. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was the guy. He introduced me to the Super Nintendo's delights like Star Fox and uh, Street Fighter. Oh, I'm glad you didn't get banished from his house after getting him banished from the computer. No, no. His parents were always nice to me and uh, mean to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, parents. <laughs> I had a similar experience, I guess, with Street Fighter 2, where uh, in elementary school, was it elementary school or high school? I uh, During lunch breaks, we would walk back to my friend's house who lived right near the school, and we would play it over the lunch yep. break and then come back. Oh, wow, you played it over lunch. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, yeah. That one in Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo, which was a travesty oh, nice. of a game. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Mortal Kombat for Super Nintendo is not even worth mentioning yet. No, it's not. So let's go to the next one on your list, then. Oh, geez, I don't know what to bring up next. I, I, I'm going to skip over it. I'll just give it a brief mention because I know I've told my one story I have about it, which is hard driving. Or oh, yeah. Um, the cockpit sit-down version. A mm-hmm. couple of things. That I, I mentioned the story about how it's unbelievable they went into the detail of letting you, like, kick-start the car, push-start the car by running it down a hill and pulling the cl- popping the clutch. Right. Uh, that's unbelievable. But the funny thing was, in 2003... Uh, I don't know if I told this story, um, that I decided that me and my buddy had plunked in so many quarters into the game, like, like you know, 50, 100 bucks over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. that I actually went to the arcade and called the phone number that had listed on the side of the arcade machine saying who owned it. Mm-hmm. And, and I called them and I said, hey, I want to buy the race driving. And I'm like, how much is it? And here in my head, I'm thinking like $2,000. And the lady's like... Oh, I don't know. That's one of our older games. Uh, $400 okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, absolutely sold. So I, I bought this game on the spot, not thinking about how I get this home or how I get this into my, my house. Um, <laughs> turns out this is the cockpit sit-down game, which weighs 775 pounds. Wow. It was just unbelievable. So my buddy showed up with his truck, and we somehow managed to get this. The, the business had a forklift. They forklifted onto his truck. Wow. Then somehow managed to get it off the back of his truck to my mom's garage, <laughs> and it unfortunately sat in there for 10 years before it rotted. Uh, oh. Like, it, was, it was the most heartbreaking, dumbest thing I've ever done. It, <laughs> it, it got exposed to Canadian winters for 10 years. Oh. I played it six times um, and mice started nesting in the PCBs and actually turned <laughs> into like a little condo unit where they had like little mouse nests on each level of the PCB wow yeah it was absolutely heartbreaking so I ended up selling it for 200 bucks just to get it out of the garage because it smelled like mouse pee <laughs> oh what a shame it, it came to your house to die oh I was just I was just so sad that's to, a heartbreaker but the guy who bought it was so happy. The guy was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. This might be the last one in Western Canada. I'm like, actually, I think it is the last one in Western Canada. So go go crazy. Try to restore this thing. And I really regret that I sold it. Oh, wow. Um, all right, dude, I've got five more left on my list here, but I'm kind of running out of time here myself. <laughs> yeah, and I'm almost at my destination. Did you want to 
pick this up in our next episode? Yeah, okay, let's do that. I'm sure we can do it in like half an hour. Okay, yeah, that's exactly. I realized like I, I I have very lots of attachment to these games, but I actually don't have a lot of long ass stories about them. They're more exactly. fuzzy memories, so yeah. That's right. All right, well, let's call it a podcast then and we'll uh, pick this up again uh, next week. Um, we'll see whether we have a, a guest for next week. I'm hoping maybe uh, Bram might be able to join us again if he's done with oh, his move. Hi, Bram. Like combination of puzzles and arcades. That's uh, yeah, together at last. Awesome. Okay. Well, always a pleasure to talk to you, Chris, and I hope you enjoy your uh, your play. And uh, I've got my concert to go to shortly. Um, listeners, uh, thank you as always very much for tuning in, and especially for uh, writing and. Uh, sending us your voicemails you can reach us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com by email at squarefm at demodulated.com or on twitter at squarewavesfm alright folks been a pleasure as always and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side somewhere around there yeah and uh, remember we've got an upcoming issue the second or last issue it's never sure I call it every issue the last issue of NBC uh, a multimedia mega pack compilation coming out soon so um, if you've sent it your address uh, keep an eye on your mailbox and we'll get Brian to announce when it's coming out and uh, I'm sure you guys are going to have an absolute gas with this uh, it's, it's going to be a long issue twice as long as our last one. Oh, amazing really can't wait thanks for your hard work on that Chris alright okay looking forward to hearing from you folks for next week and please have a wonderful week we love you all the most mm-hmm. take it easy all so long Bye. Insert going. Batman. 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 Batman.
yum, yum, yum.